This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. extracurricular finally this is outside the curriculum i could say mm, it now mm. <laughs> this is not part of the main season episode of normandy fm as always i'm one of your co-hosts here eric van allen joined by kenneth shepherd ken how you doing sup tunes <laughs> i don't like the way it sounds ever i'll never <laughs> like the way it sounds <laughs> Here, here with my gonks. Yeah, see, it's it just oh, always bad. No, no, you're using it wrong. <laughs> we got a Nova through this podcast. Uh huh. Hey. Uh huh. Uh, our our choom is here to uh, Michael Hyam. How are you doing? <laughs> Why does that sound like a slur? <laughs> it does. It, it did. Does. Like when it came out of his mouth. <laughs> when it came out, like, of, when it came, out of, came out of Eric's mouth, I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, chill, chill, chill. Eric is <laughs> no longer allowed to use cyberpunk slang ever. <laughs> Just barred from it completely. Uh, hi, yeah, we're talking about Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, which, uh, if you're listening to this, is is out right now. I think is actually, it just came out an hour uh, ago. officially an hour ago. Yeah. Um, we, uh, as, as you might know, or, or may not know, this might be the first time you're listening to us. If so, hi, we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast hosted by myself, uh, Eric Van Allen and Kenneth Shepard, along with a ton of excellent guests, including Michael Hyam. Hey. Uh, and we, uh, basically book club our way through games. Uh, we go back and we, we take a retrospective look at games, uh, try to basically work through them piece by piece. Uh, and cover them in their entirety. We started with Mass Effect, as you might be able to tell from the name of our podcast, uh, went on to do a bunch of other Bioware games, uh, and then eventually found our way to Cyberpunk, uh, which was, I, I honestly think, one of our better seasons. I, I would mm-hmm. put it up there. Not that we've tier-listed our seasons before. <laughs> uh, we don't share those with the class. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, that was definitely one of the the more interesting, more thought-provoking seasons I thought we had. Really got to dig into a game that I think is a a rich text to dig into. And so uh, seeing as Ken and I have both played Phantom Liberty, covered it for our respective sites, go check out our write-ups on Kotaku and Destructoid. And also Michael here has played phantom liberty and written about it for GameSpot and podcasted on it and also podcasted with me on acts of the blood god about it we're just talking about it everywhere hey whoa whoa we don't we don't we don't name that podcast around these parts what acts of the blood god hey, whoa, get shout whoa. outs here really for the I, amount of times that i shout out dormady on acts of the blood god <laughs> i don't know <laughs> look we take all the free publication uh and and publicity where we can get it uh, we wanted to have you on. We want to have you Thank on, you. Michael, because you're Hell such yeah. a great guest. So. Yeah, I was just thinking, for like as long as we've known you, Michael, 
We've only oh. had you on the show once, and it wasn't on like a quote unquote like regular episode of Normandy yeah. FM, like a, a numbered season episode. Yeah, um, it was, what it was the Mass Effect? Uh, Mass, Mass Effect, Effect Two. Were it was Mass Effect yeah. two. two. I was on yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. we're rectifying that now with uh, a, a episode sixteen of the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven season. Hell yeah, dude! I'm I'm very happy to be here. It's uh it's rare that I get to talk with my friends Eric and Ken, you know. <laughs> And no, so whenever I do this. get to collab with them, it's a very special time. <laughs> I yeah, talk we... to Ken and Eric every fucking day, basically, <laughs> which is great. Look, look, this is just we're, we're turning our friendship into content. That's, yeah, that's yeah, what dude. a podcast is at the end of the day. Um, so we're, we're just we, we've got kind of a rough outline of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and we're just going to talk about phantom liberty and also kind of cyberpunk 2.0 i think and maybe even reassess the idea of you know where is cyberpunk is cyberpunk back uh yeah, but you know the the funniest thing about that that particular like note is i don't, I don't know if you know this about me Eric, but i go back and listen to our show sometimes mm-hmm. just because like if, if the mood strikes me because i don't know if you know it's, we have a, it, we have a great show psychotic here. behavior it's absolutely it is. psychotic it is. behavior <laughs> you know when you get used to hearing your own voice through the editing process it just completely like it's white noise to you and you can actually hear a podcast and be fine but i was thinking about how much of our season doesn't hold water anymore now that this 2.0 update is out and has changed so many of the systems that we had problems with and so many of like the progression and like just general like tactics that you have in this game like none of the things that we talked about even like apply to the game anymore oh. um so that's kind of fucked up maybe we need to go back into 15 episodes again no we really we really oh. don't need to we, we uh, really really don't need I, to. I, I, can, I can help i can help with that <laughs> third chair we, we really don't need to do all 15 episodes of cyberpunk again not, just redub not them this. and then slip the file and on soundcloud to where it just like replaces the old episode <laughs> Similar to how CD Projekt Red did with their video game. Yes. There you do a 2.0 Normandy. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. crazy. No, no. But I, I do think it would be interesting. Let's start there. Like, what do we think has fundamentally changed between when we played Cyberpunk for the podcast, which for me was the last time I spent a, like, significant chunk of time with Cyberpunk, uh, which I mean, we're we're about a year year removed from that at this point, give or take. Um, that, yeah. And what, at least what from the recording feel? of it. The episode, yes. Like, yeah. 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 Because we we did all the recording way ahead of time. That was that was the whole thing. Uh, I think we actually talk about it on the show if you go back mm-hmm. and listen. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you feel, Ken, has changed the most about Cyberpunk between that time and now that we have 2.0? And Phantom Liberty. And I mean, outside of the fact that there's an entirely new campaign and area and stuff like that. Sure. But like, what about Cyberpunk itself do you feel has changed the most? So I think we we spent a lot of time in that season talking about how, you know, we had two very different builds for RV. But a lot of the times it felt like we were still playing the game in very similar ways. Where, mm. obviously, like, 2.0, as we're recording, this has been out for, like, less than a week. But, like, I'm seeing clips on, like, TikTok and on Twitter of, like, people doing things in this game that I, as a, as a primarily stealth player, can't even fathom. Like, I don't even know, like, the builds and the abilities you and the cyberware you have to have in place to pull off some shit that people were doing. And that, to me, just, like, signals just how... Or how, how much the build changes very specifically have done to make 
a game that actually feels like you're actually crafting a character and that we can have like this really tangibly different playthroughs where a lot of the times like you kind of had the same tactics broadly before um because like there's some shit that people pull off that like basically looks like choreographed like stunt playing to me at this point mm -hmm, and it's yeah. like it's so far beyond the scope of how i play this game that that in and of itself i think is one of the most impressive things that city project red has pulled off here is that like I'm watching people play this game in ways I can't even, I couldn't even have conceived of a year ago. Michael, what about you? I, how long was the gap? I, I mean, between any amount of cyberpunk playing and, and what you did for, for covering 2.0? Oh, um, well, I played, I played about 20 hours at launch mm -hmm. and I pretty much dropped it then and there. Uh, I didn't, I had some technical problems, but I was playing on PC at high end PC mm -hmm. and uh, like I was able to get around a lot of those hurdles I had encountered but I think at its core, I was I was missing that that RPG element where uh, like the old skill trees, like Ken was saying, kind of felt like you were funneled into similar playstyles regardless of what you quote unquote mm. spec into. And I just I felt like I shared a lot of the sentiments that our uh, original reviewer Callie Plakey, uh, who's a good friend of mine, um, we shared the same sentiments, and also Jake Decker who covered the game also. Well, both at when we when we were and still are at GameSpot, um, that a lot of the world felt um, not empty, but it kind of the cyberpunk genre is so so rooted in specific types of storytelling that I feel like the game itself didn't necessarily have it didn't feel like the game had an, a full understanding of what made the cyberpunk genre click. Mm. Um, but you did see parts of it in a lot of the character interactions, and I felt like. Uh, a lot of the more intimate moments in the original Cyberpunk still kind of hit the, some of the things that I've been that I look for in RPGs. But mm. broadly speaking, there was a lot. I felt like there's a lot of inconsistencies in like whether it be tone, how sure. V speaks to Johnny, the broader like message of the game. Um, so those things like don't get fixed in 2.0 per se, uh, which you know, I, not that anyone should have expected that, right? The game I, at the core of the game is going to be the game. Um, but from a gameplay perspective. This game, it's like the the rebuild of the RPG systems is fucking fantastic. I've, mm. I was, I saw, um, the the uh, Obsidian's Josh Sawyer was was talking about <laughs> how great the RPG systems are in Cyberpunk, and I felt, and I've never felt so validated in my opinion <laughs> of a of an RPG's gameplay because, uh, yeah, it's you spec into different play styles and different builds, but it's not just like. Oh, I'm going to, like if you want to just do be a stealthy build and just put all your eggs in that basket. That's what's up. You go do that. But what I when I was playing, it was a hybrid of different things where I would stealth, and if if I got caught and had to fight, well, okay, that's what I'm, I'm not reloading a save to like do a perfect mm. stealth run. It's like, well, I got caught, so now I'm gonna rely on all these other things that I specced into, uh, like air dashing and deflecting with blades and uh, hitting multipliers with whenever I do like combos with my blades, and then switching to submachine guns and getting like buff stacks with each bullet that I hit the enemy with, and. Mm. It's so wild how I was able to fuse all these different play styles and um, like I was doing shit that you just wouldn't do in the original in the original style of the game. And th that's where I felt like Cyberpunk is now at its best is with these 2.0 like the systems in 2.0 update. 
it is an RPG. You are mm -hmm. building V in a way that suits you best. Like I don't even, I haven't even touched the body skill tree. I haven't touched the the technical ability skill tree, but I'm cool in reflexes and I'm doing cool shit and I'm doing mm -hmm. a lot of like wild shit like uh in terms of dexterity like I, it's basically a, a dexterity build that i have right. mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. if you were to parallel it to another rpg and that's how i usually play rpgs and that is how i feel in cyberpunk it's so dope how distinct all these abilities are because now mm -hmm. the skill trees give you abilities actual abilities right. that do supplement the play style um i mean <laughs> i can't I love a good air dash, man. Holy shit. Mm. It reminds me like Dishonored when you have, yep. when Blink is able to, like you suspend yourself in the air and then uh, choose where you want to blink. It reminds me of that, but like so much more faster. And mm -hmm. it, when you're in a firefight and I'm using my SMGs and I'm switching between sniper rifles, pistols, and SMGs and zipping around the entire battlefield, like dog, it's so satisfying. It's so mm -hmm. satisfying. And this is, it's something I hadn't felt in the original build of the game. Yep. And then now that that is entirely what this game is, even with its shortcomings, I, like its other shortcomings I had mentioned, this is still like a um, like fun-ass game to play, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, the interesting yeah. thing, because like one of the things that I talked about a lot in the, in the season was that like there were just chunks of this game that, not, that did not feel accommodating to a stealth playstyle. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that be like you know the, the boss fights like against fucking Adam Smasher or whoever, uh, that was like oh they very clearly want you to play this a certain way. And I haven't, to be clear, I haven't gone back and played like a lot of the original game with this new build, which I probably should do soon and probably like am in the headspace to do again. But there are like very very specifically like action set piece like boss battles in Phantom Liberty that you would think in, in the Cyberpunk of old would not have felt very accommodating to me in my playstyle. But because I had things where, like, I could cloak and dash, like, into cover, like, while I was still crouched in a way that I couldn't do before. Or, um, like, you have certain abilities that kind of uh, give you that, like, uh, that sort of leeway to, like, be seen for a second, but then dash back out. There's, like, all these little things that added up that were, were like, even in the most, like, action-oriented combat scenarios in Phantom Liberty, I was still able to pull them off primarily as a stealth player. Or at the very least, like, have, like the stealth tools I had in my kit were actually something that I was still actively using rather than the thing that kind of like went on the back burner while I just pointed and shoot. I think that has been like one of the most kind of like uh, rejuvenating things about this update for me is that like, I feel like I could go back and play the entirety of Cyberpunk 2077 and actually be able to stick to that playstyle. And because like, to me, it's not even a matter of like, I like to stealth this in this kind of a game. It's more just like, that played into the character that I had like written in my head, like what would his abilities be as this mm -hmm. street kid Merc who has not like come from, you know, fucking isn't coming from like Arasaka with all these other connections that has all these like really high tech things that is disposable has like, what is it? What is kind of the more like grounded build that a character like that would have. And so now I'm like, Oh man, I should fucking go back and play this entire game and see how that progression works. Cause like we, I, I use my Normandy save to play Phantom Liberty. So I kind of like had everything, like right out the gate, and I, I described it in like a draft of my reviews. I think I edited it out, but it was like it was like being put in a truck after driving a car for three years, um, <laughs> mm. just because like it was really jarring, honestly, because like to have basically be this super powered stealthy spy motherfucker after having what was ultimately kind of a kind of like a very generic stealth game, a very generic shooter, a very generic action RPG. It was like like that was the thing is like nothing about 
how 2077 played was particularly interesting or even something like I like there weren't a lot of gameplay moments in that game that ever really stuck out to me and now I'm like oh there's a lot of more potential here than there ever was and so yeah that that I think is just like I don't think that can really be overstated just how yeah. like fundamentally a lot of this game has changed yeah and that like coming from a background for me like Deus Ex is probably mm-hmm. was like the 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 most important piece of cyberpunk fiction, I think, for me, because that was my introduction sure. to the genre as a whole. And playing that game is, you know, like primarily stealth based. So going into cyberpunk, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna play stealth because that is um, mm. that's just how I understand these this kind of game. And like Ken said, combining like with the cyberware, where you could up your multiplier for stealth damage, you can up your multiplier for headshot damage. You have mm. this fucking sick ass silenced pistol, and then mm. you can cloak yourself, and then buff your cloaking ability as well. So you're it, it, in an RPG when you when you level up and you're, you start to like min max your your build, and you start to feel the impact of stacking all of these different stat buffs and abilities mm. on top of each other. And when you are in those heated combat moments and you break sight lines with cloak, reposition yourself. Now they don't know where you are. And then you can get the headshot and stealth multipliers when you do hit them and just mm-hmm. keep doing that. Where like these enemies cannot find you. They are they're running around, shooting everywhere, but you are outsmarting them. It is empowering that mm-hmm. regardless of your play style, the combat scenarios that you're put in, at least for Phantom Liberty, are kind of designed in a way to still be fun and challenging in that way and it's man that shit's fucking sick mm. yeah i i think like the biggest thing for me too is is what cyberpunk and what cd project red did with creating these builds that feel like they enable interesting choices in gameplay as well so like i i went the route of i i picked up we'll talk about the relic stuff a little bit more but in the relic tree i picked up that like spot vulnerabilities for me uh mm, thing yep. where, you, where you get like extra weak points on targets to hit those and i started with the new 2.0 skills i started going down the path that would give me the um the the smart weapon stuff because i was like oh i'd never really messed around with smart weapons they seem cool and they're in the hacker branch so why not try them and i ended up with this build that was almost like a battle hacker where i would be kind of picking away at enemies and and setting up my my quick hack queue which was like this entire almost i i compared it to slay the spire in my review because it's like you yeah. you set up all these cards in a row to fall in a certain order and hacks to execute in a certain order that will you know if short circuit for example does extra damage now because uh it, there's a control quick hack already on this enemy and the control one has to go first because i have a perk that says control effects will last longer if i use it on an enemy at full health and things like that so you start planning out these quick hack cues to kind of execute in a row and you dump them on an enemy and then as they're executing you pull out your smart weapon which gains bonus weapons and and builds up damage if you are attacking an enemy that has quick hacks attacking them so you can just unleash this huge combo of damage and it's it, it all goes from zero to one hundred so fast, and yeah. and that was the <laughs> yeah. build that I constructed, and it was really really good for taking out like big single target enemies. They were like bosses did not stand a chance against my character, but you know individual enemies, larger groups, 
little bit more tricky for me to deal with. So I had to start thinking about, okay, what guns do I want to carry to deal with that stuff? I've got this like special submachine gun that's only for like, I use it to just dump those smart bullets into the enemies. So what do I need to deal with other stuff? Well, I've got my mox shotgun over here to deal with enemies that get up close. I've got a revolver that I really like for dealing with kind of further away enemies. that has got some punch, but can be used up close in a pinch. Um, and I just think that it can't be overstated enough, like how how different this game does feel in the combat department from mm. base cyberpunk. Because base cyberpunk, I, I, Ken, I think you were saying this, is that it felt like a, just a normal stealth game, a normal shooter, like everything in it was just by the numbers in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. It, it was not anything crazy. It was not anything that stood out. And it, it, it was the way I've, I've felt about a lot of games, honestly, that try to do the sort of action RPG stuff and tie those things in. And, and you end up getting a lot of stuff that's like, oh, you've you've got a gun that does plus 5% damage against mechanical enemies. I'm like, oh, boy, plus 5% damage against mechanical enemies. I'm sure mm. when I'm shooting mechanical <laughs> enemies, I'll be thinking about how I'm doing 5% more damage to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is wonderful. Uh, no, but now I'm, I'm actively thinking about my build and, and how I can execute my build or how I have to adjust my gameplay because of my build. And, and the even cooler thing is that they give you so many ways of just, if you, if you go down a path and you end up not liking the build you're on, or you just want to change it up, you just go to a ripper dock. You just go and reattach everything. You reset your attributes, you change up your cyberware and it is maybe the most cyberpunk thing in this game that you can just walk into a ripper dock and completely change your build and and walk Mm. back out a different person. And then all of it builds towards feeling like the edge runner that, that you want to be. I I think that was something that a lot of people took away from edge runners was, you know, Oh, look at how emotional all this stuff is and how cool these characters are. Well, now V actually gets to feel like the character that does the cool stuff in the Mm -hmm. game. You know, you, even in the game, you have characters like Adam Smasher or when you do the flashback as Johnny Silverhand, where they're these living legends and they look cool and they do cool stuff. And now you get to be the person who is like the walking legend of, of cyberpunk, of Night City and, and feel like that character. Uh, before we get into talking about Phantom Liberty, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure it's going to say this in the episode description and stuff too, but this is a spoiler cast. At this point, if you don't want to hear any spoilers about Phantom Liberty, uh, I, I mean, do we want to give like a quick one sentence non-spoiler take on Phantom Liberty before we get into this? I, I'll just say oh, sure. it's it's great. That That is the text underneath my review score. It's great. You should check it out if you want to play Cyberpunk and you've been holding off. This is definitely a very good time to get in on Cyberpunk. Uh, Ken, do you have a non-spoiler take to share about Phantom Liberty? No, I do not. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, if, if you if you want some non-spoiler takes, go read my fucking review. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Go read our reviews. Go uh, give us clicks and views and then go play Phantom Liberty and then come back because from here on out, spoilers, veil is lifted. Can you believe that that the dog they just, dies. They they killed all the dogs in, oh, in Night City. Up. That's Every why they call it Dog Town. <laughs> Doggy Dog no. Town down here. I mean, bef- um, before spoilers, I just I do want to say that, um, off the top, like, 
this is game of the year material for me. This shit mm. is, I was blown away by Phantom Liberty alone, and I gave it a ten out of ten on GameSpot, and that's very rare for uh, for us to to give away a ten out of ten. But it wasn't feel, even an anime game. It wasn't I mean, an anime game. I mean, it it, it has I an anime. Love, Adjacent, yeah, it yeah, actually, has an anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. you're right. So, ah, fuck, caught red-handed. Damn, you hate to see it. Uh, typical Michael Hyam review over here. Um, Not beating the accusations. <laughs> never, never beating these accusations. Fuck. Um, but yeah, I, I adore Phantom Liberty so much. I have. This is one of my most memorable gaming experiences. Period. Mm. And we are about to get into why. Yeah. So let's let, let's talk about it. So. Phantom Liberty, first thing I want to talk about is definitely the the opening of Phantom Liberty because I think it does some really cool, neat things that I wanted to chat about. Uh, the whole taking over your relic, uh, Songbird, like hacking in, uh, unlocking the relic skill tree was already kind of cool, but then the whole walk and talk you do with Songbird where you're kind of, like, like the game is very blatantly going oh, we know what you've done already. We're going to talk about Jackie a little bit. We're going to talk about some mm. other stuff. I thought it was cool. I thought it was neat. I also... Mm, this is something I've been mulling over a little bit. And, and I'm interested to hear y'all's thoughts on this. Slash, hear y'all yell at me for this. You don't like Jackie, huh? No, no. It, it has nothing to do with the characters. Oh. It has everything to do with the way cyberpunk presents story. I felt like... And I was feeling this when I was doing my second, or not even like my second playthrough. It was like my third playthrough of the ending uh, to get the read stuff specifically. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of moments where Cyberpunk wants you to kind of stand in place and and look at someone while they talk. And I, I, was I was trying to figure out how to like characterize this. And, and so there's one other game I can think of in recent memory where you did this a lot. Uh, was Metro Exodus. Uh, it's like a Metro thing that they oh. do that to, yeah. where you just kind of like, and, and I think it was it was more of an issue in Metro because in Metro you play a character that cannot talk for whatever reason and you just kind of get talked at the whole time. And at least in Cyberpunk, there are dialogue options that come up every so often uh, and you, you do get to engage a little bit more. But there's something weird about the moments where the game is like you you're still in control you're still like kind of able to to scooch around <laughs> and stuff but i i almost felt like i was having to like frame the conversations um the the ending where you are watching all this stuff happen in in songbird's head as as she is in the middle of that sinusure uh data core situation uh felt a little awkward at times too did y'all feel any of that about the way that Cyberpunk presents story, the way you kind of have those, like, not even walk-in talks, but, like, you, you, you kind of stand there in the interactive world while a character is, is like, talking to you? Does that feel strange to y'all at all? No, not really. No. no, I mean, not in any way that feels different than, frankly, like, most, like, prestige story-driven AAA video games. Um, but, I, mean, I know it's, like, a... I, I, don't, I frankly just don't mind it. Like, I don't mind, like... Hmm. Because, like, for me in a lot of these games, like, that's what I'm here for. Like, I am here to talk to people and figure out what's going on. So, and even in, even then, like, I feel like the intro to Phantom Liberty is not necessarily a... Uh, it didn't really feel like that to me. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. 
like the opening like with with Longboard, I think is like one of the most effective scenes of this expansion because like it's so fast and it's so invasive in a way that communicates to you how like powerful of Netrunner Songbird is. Like she just like she taps Johnny on the fucking arm who is like nobody else yeah, in this game yeah, has yeah. ever spoken to. Yeah. And then she just does that and then he just disappears and that is, like this fucking a really cool moment. Yeah. Like that's such like a striking like moment for me in terms of illustrating how important like and how powerful Songbird is, but also kind of like I, I think like setting the tone for the expansion and something that I have like kind of conflicting feelings on is just like how disruptive Phantom Liberty is to Cyberpunk 2077. And it, like, it mm. feels like it's just really capturing that feeling. And so, yeah, like by the, by the time, like, you know, I finally like come to and I'm able to like walk around with her and we're kind of like walking slowly and kind of, cause like they have to introduce a lot in what is a relatively short sequence. Cause like there's they are a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of exposition in that early part. Cause they also have to like explain the concept of the NUSA, which is like something that if you, if you aren't familiar with the lore of cyberpunk is, is a bit of a foreign concept. Mm hmm. Yeah, and on top of that, like you have to kind of, cause like they, do, I think they do a really good job in the expansion of putting Songbird and B on the same level. And I feel like having those moments where like you are slowing down a bit to like you know talk about Jackie, who is like you know I think one of my favorite things that Phantom Liberty does is it's, like has this constant. It, it reflects on everything that happened with Jackie a lot. It's kind of a touchstone of like expanding upon B's yeah. entire journey and also Songbird and how she relates to him. Or it's also them the, as well. It's also the thing they know you've done because sure. the way that this can show up in the game, you could get here pretty darn fast if you like just go down the Voodoo Boys path and head straight here. You, there's not a lot that they can like guarantee that you have seen and engaged with up to this point outside of that intro sequence. So, right. Um, but but to be clear, uh, to to like clarify my my own statement, it's not so much the dialogue. It's, it's like the way in which it's presented that kind of weirds me out at times because you, you think about, okay, Baldur's Gate 3. When you are talking to a character, you enter into that like dialogue, right? You, you go into the sort of classic Bioware talk back and forth head thing, right? Uh, if you're playing Starfield or Fallout or Skyrim, you kind of go into that classic Bethesda, like you are in a dialogue window situation. But Cyberpunk does a thing where you can go into those where you have those moments. Like the one I always think of for Phantom Liberty is, is when you're sneaking through the vents with Songbird and at the very end of her path uh, and you're kind of like peeking out to watch uh, Reed and the president talking and you're kind of getting the asides with Songbird and stuff there. And it's like a very set, like you are in a dialogue, you are in a narrative sequence, but a lot of cyberpunk stuff also takes place in the open world where you still kind of have full control and are able to move around and i know a lot i think of it a lot because people will have their skip text button auto bound to their crouch button and so they'll try to crouch or uncrouch and skip text by accident oh they fixed that on console at least it was 2.0 it's 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 something you have to change the binding for on pc mm -hmm. so that's that's why i noticed it but um that it, it's just something weird about the way they present that and i don't know that it's necessarily a good and or bad thing but it does make a lot of dialogues like for some reason me having full control of of v to be able to like walk around and move around and stuff makes me like constantly fiddle with v i don't know if you like like 
I, again, the the songbird thing I come back to, I'm constantly like, oh, I have to kind of like scooch my V back a little bit because the character's walking towards me now as they're talking. And I have to like, I feel like I'm playing a cameraman for a stage play <laughs> during mm. those moments. And it's, it's such like a minor thing, but it, it made me think a lot about how like the, the tools that CD Projekt has created to develop these dialogues and show these dialogues with. And, and ways in which I think they can be used really, really effectively. Um, there are some really striking narrative moments in Phantom Liberty that I think work incredibly well, but then moments where I kind of feel like I'm a cameraman in a stage play scooting around and, and waiting for my line to come up. And so that's, it's not even just like the dialogue or the pacing, it's like the way it's presented by CD Projekt kind of weirds me out. But um, in terms of the actual narrative stuff that we were talking about, um, I definitely think narrative is like a strong point of Phantom Liberty. Um, I am curious how y'all feel about, so we have the big explosive opening. We, we team up with Songbird. Uh, the plane goes down. We go save the president. We have the whole sequence with the president um, where we're kind of learning about the NUSA and who Songbird is and who the president is and their whole deal we get some I, I think like a sense of simmering tension between songbird and the president you know songbird's kind of able to like talk bad about her boss to you <laughs> while you're going through that museum and all that stuff uh what did y'all think of president myers as a character because i found her to be a really compelling secondary villain if that makes sense mm. like a secondary antagonist to the dlc that that was a really interesting way of framing that character, but I'm curious how y'all felt. And I, we can start with Michael. Like, how do you feel about President Rosalind Myers? <laughs> well, uh, fuck the feds for one. <laughs> uh, but I think having Myers as kind of a representative of the federal government, right? Because you're mm-hmm. you're put you're put in a difficult position because. The thing I thought about is like, fuck, man, the least punk thing I could do is work for the feds. But mm, in the context mm. of what's happening in Phantom Liberty, where V, I'm V, and I have a limited amount of time to f- live. I need to find a cure right now. Songbird, who's an agent of the federal, go- federal government, who's kind of tiptoeing around which side she's actually on, is guaranteeing that she can figure out a, like a, cure to, a cure for the relic. And uh, it's like in the context of cyberpunk, it's like I'm going to do everything I can to save myself. Cyberpunk isn't so much about, you know, changing the world and saving other people as much as it's about saving yourself and how Mm -hmm. far you're willing to go to do that. How much you're willing to give up? How much of a sellout are you willing to be (laughs) to save yourself? And that's such a powerful Mm. theme because, I mean, to bring it back to Myers is that. You know, you have to work with her in that opening. Once you save her, it's like, okay, I'm, this is a, a means to the end. And you're kind of like, okay, she's cool. You know, she's working with me. She's, you know, kind of making sure that I'm good. And is kind of, she's kind of a badass too. It's like, oh, you know, she, she can she, she can shoot a, a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's, she's shoot a motherfucker in their face. She's drinking beer. She's hanging yeah. out. Yeah, hell yeah. And I'm just like, okay, it was like, Maybe we don't see eye to eye, but you know what? I'll roll with you in these streets. Um, and as time goes on, the more she kind of reverts back to uh, an agent of the federal government and kind mm-hmm. of treating you like you're just another one of her soldiers. And mm-hmm. I think when, when, you, when you are able to interact with her in Reed's route, 
the way she gives you the cold shoulder, no matter what dialogue choice you make, mm-hmm. is such a stark cr- contrast to be like, damn, I thought we I thought we were cool, but I guess I'm just another one <laughs> of your lackeys. Um, yeah. And then so, and, it, and when I when I think about that, the more it uh, provides the context to like understand why uh, I work I worked with the feds and understanding why V would would do that is because I'm going to help them to help myself mm-hmm. and I don't care about anything else. And um, I think that that's such a like that. That's a that's a strong point that the game constantly reminds you of is that um, these people aren't your friends. Right. And uh-huh. even if they try to, you know, lend you a hand, they're always there's always something in there that they have in their back pocket. And they're like, it feels in a weird way. It feels like Johnny's the only one you can trust in right. these moments. Um, and he's the one who's constantly like this Rosalind Myers, you know, you can't mm. trust her. She's the president. Oh, look, cool. She can, you could sl- slice her open to take out her tracker. Oh damn. She can really take it like a boss. But at the end of the day, you know, watch your back V and uh, yeah. like that message does not get lost. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's a, yeah, she's a strong anchor for kind of, contextualizing the like why you're doing what you're doing um and then making it come full circle uh depending on which route you go right because like i i had like a, a lapse in judgment for like the, the first chunk of the expansion because you know like for all you know everything that she represents like myers is being polite she is being encouraging she is very capable and so like for that first chunk of the game like up to the point where we're like oh you know this the point where she tries to like crack a beer open and the hideout with you while she's in like, clothes that she found on a pile here, like, I, like, I, you know, talked to her like I would have any other person in Night City, and then, you know, you wake up the next morning, and then she's like, hey, I need you to go see this other guy, like, t- take this coin, or, I mean, like, do you want to take the oath? We can take the oath, and then, like, that's the point where, like, clicks, and it's like, oh, right, then, then, you know, that's when Johnny comes up, and, it, like, he has, you know, his whole spiel in this, which is kind of, like, I think the most, I mean, granted, like, you know, I, we saw eye to eye by the end, me and Johnny, yeah. but that was, I think, the most I had been kind of like willing to hear him out because like it wasn't coming from this place of like condescension and of like sort of like abstract anti-authority uh, sentiment without like any real backing or reason or plan where this was like a very personal thing to him where it felt like Johnny actually caring about V as a person. Like I want to make sure, like I, I want to at least like vocalize this to you so you don't fall into the same traps that I did growing up and mm-hmm. being part of the Corpo War and being, you know, this cog in the machine of the country that is the new United States of America. And that was, I think like Johnny's used so sparingly in this expansion comparatively to like, you know, compared to the, the main game where he just like never shuts the fuck up. Um, and I was just like really pleasantly surprised by like how every single interaction that he and V have is so like paramount to everything. It's not just him blowing smoke. It's not just him, you know, having these edgy one-liners. Like there's actually like this, compassion that he has for V in that in that way that never feels like self-serving it feels like I have been through this I have been through what you're going through right now and please like hear me out like these people are not your friends this is not like whatever they might have for you in the end they are just as willing to chew you up and spit you out as our soccer was yeah there's I I think there's something to that that like so Myers I I pretty much echo what y'all have said about Myers. I think Myers is, is just like a really interesting, like secondary, like force of pressure in the world mm-hmm. and a different source of pressure than we've seen so far, because we'll talk a little bit more about like 
the NUSA presence and, and how it meshes with like the independent night city and all that, uh, in a little bit, but like Johnny specifically, I do feel like limitations made Johnny shine a bit more here. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'd be curious to know if there was like, if they had a limit on how much they were able to do or because they have a character who's also occupying the same literal space that, <laughs> that mm. Johnny occupies during big chunks that they had to be more withholding. And so I had to think about the times that they were going to drop Johnny in. But I, I did find so many sections with him in there to, to be so impactful. And they usually popped up at really, really good times too. Uh, the one that always comes back to me is when you're leaving the party at uh, Kurt Hansen's place and you can meet up with Johnny over there and he starts talking about, you know, all the glitz and glamour. And up to this point, he'd been kind of gassing you up on the party. He was like, uh, you know, go yeah. drink champagne. If you like mm. drink a bunch at the party, which my V did, uh, he like <laughs> yep. cheers you on for getting like tanked on the, on the company <laughs> dime. Uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, but then you you can stop with him on the way out and he's just kind of reflecting and he's like, oh, I used to go to all these kinds of things and there were all these situations and, and all these parties. He's like, starts talking about this old rocker that he used to look up to and he was like, I would trade every night, every party, every single one of these galas just to see her play a show again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like... It, it was it was that kind of a side where he wasn't even trying to make a point. He wasn't trying to like show V something right. or be like, uh it, it was just him like reflecting on life mm -hmm. in a way that that like really informed his character super well and felt really, really good and felt natural. And I do feel like this is the most charismatic Keanu we see. I mean, even just mm -hmm. we've all been gushing about the the moment when he does the little phone signal right yeah. like the hand signal <laughs> yeah it's so good it's it's so well done and like johnny is is an incredible presence in here and i think honestly the limitations make him shine that much more yeah they didn't they did not waste a single uh, moment with mm -hmm. him every time he shows up it's like okay we gotta we gotta make a statement we gotta give him uh something important to say and every single time like you get that optional objective. It's like talk with Johnny. Like yes, I am going mm -hmm. to talk with him. And I think the one that the the moment with Johnny that stuck out the most to me is, uh, I think it, it's after the first time you meet up with Alex and you're at Alex's bar and then you walk outside where the tree is lit mm -hmm. with the, the mm -hmm. memorial for all the people who have died in Dogtown. And um, he's like crouched down. He's looking at the memorial under the tree, and he has like the this 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 really like vulnerable moment where he's talking about like life and death and how people grieve and uh like 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 in his moments when he was alive and um it was i don't know i i think it's it's part of it is the contrast of how johnny is supposed to be this badass who is constantly vulgar and like wants to blow shit up and then and then you have like this moment that gets him that where he is uh, opening up to you. And so like we'd mentioned, there are, there are a lot of moments where he is a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, but mm -hmm. that was one where I think he, he also talks about his role in the corporal corporal war and um, thinking about how like, Oh man, I, you know, I, he was also partially a sellout too. And uh, like a cog in the wheel. And uh, I don't know. I just, mm -hmm. I think it's, I, I like it when, uh, irreverent characters like that start to show their softer side i guess mm -hmm. um it's kind of like one of the things i like about the 
the the archetype in like social links in a persona who uh, think they're like too cool to care about certain things and then the more you dig into their personal life the more they open up to you it, it's kind of like that and I, I love that shit yeah it makes me wonder how a lot of this reads if you're not playing because like I again like I played from my normal save so like I'd already played the game through to the end and I wonder how like those moments of vulnerability feel in the context of like if you go like okay say hypothetically you don't do the new ending and the Phantom Liberty, and you, so you go back into the main game, where a lot of those sort of um, those connections between V and Johnny might not be there yet, and I wonder like if that feels like a kind of a, like backsliding into old ways after you've had this very you know oh, yeah. connective mm-hmm. moment within Phantom Liberty because I think that is like one of the weirdest things about Phantom Liberty is that like it is available so early on when it feels like it's riffing on already completed story in a lot of ways um yeah and so it, it, i would just be very curious to like see what someone's experience is like if they were to be playing the game for like for the first time and then like start playing but really as soon as they unlock it because that that, that's just the like, rest the, of the game <laughs> yeah it, it's like a, it's such a weirdly placed thing and that's you know the nature of like dlc and expansions that are being inserted into a story that does have a, a, a fairly definitive ending um I think that's just something that has to like kind of live with more than it can ever really overcome. Mm -hmm. The Witcher three had that too, though. I mean, it was not as like definitive as cyberpunk, but I mean like the ending of Witcher three is pretty like they, they put a note on it and adding hearts of stone in they, they were just kind of like, Oh, this is like another like granted much larger tale than some other quests. But this is like another thing that Geralt could have been, out and doing while caught up in all this stuff and, and trying to find Siri, and then Blood and Wine was definitely framed as like, here is another one of those kinds of tales, but also we're going to add something here, and then that specific like post uh, Blood and Wine stuff is where you get like the end end, where where you get like the real send off for for Geralt. And in some ways, it feels like Phantom Liberty is pulling a lot of those same cards out where you've got this expansion that can kind of fit in wherever you think you might want it to fit and then it adds that extra ending to be like and here is an additional thing that is like the final send-off note uh like like the new ending is explicitly a phantom liberty thing like it is you have to have phantom liberty to access it like you have to beat phantom liberty to access it um it's very much off to its own side but i do think uh, it would be interesting, like you're saying, Ken, to see, like, what if somebody just decides to go that route? What if somebody plays the DLC, gets to the ending, and decides that they want to end their game there? And, you know, that is as much an ending as anybody else's. You know, we can we can gripe about how that's not the right way to play the game or anything like that, but that is a way to see that game through that exists now and, and is part of the canon because of it. Uh, and I'd be curious to see what that looks like, especially if they do it super fast and, and skip a lot of those connections that you make that play back in, in the ending, your, <laughs> your call list is a lot shorter. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about, you know, speaking about celebrity cameos, let's talk about the big one for Phantom Liberty. How do we feel Idris Elba held up as Solomon Reed? I thought he was great because it's, it's always weird when you have a celebrity, to play a, a significant role in a game because it's like, well, 
can an actor be a voice actor for a video mm. game? And mm-hmm. um, is it this awkward thing where it's like, uh, I obviously this is this is a, a Hollywood actor they're trying to insert, and it's kind of like, ah, well, is this the right fit? Whatever. Um, but Idris Elba is. I mean, I I like almost everything that he's in. Uh, I watched The mm. Wire, and I thought he was uh, he was dope in The Wire, and he kind of channels mm. similar that similar like streetwise element. A lot of a lot of Stringer Bell energy in his yeah. Solomon Reed performance, and not just Absol- because it's him doing his American accent. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it it fits it fits really well, especially for the type of character that Solomon Reed is is someone who is so dedicated to like serving the NUSA and he's he's loyal to a fault he's stubborn and he's stuck in his ways even when he knows it's like it he even when he knows that he's not necessarily serving good people it's the mm. life that he knows and he clings on to it with everything that he has mm. and he embodies that type of character who is loyal to a fault and you could see it on his face. And I think, I don't know if this is like a deliberate thing, but when you are talking to Reed and you have those intimate dialogue uh, sequences where it, you know, obviously it's in first person, you're, you're sitting down next to him, you're looking at him while you're talking to him. You could see it on his face that mm-hmm. he doesn't a hundred percent believe in what he says. Right. Uh, where he, there, there's like a, there's like a, a low key pain to mm-hmm. his character and it shows uh right through uh, and when you talk about his past and when he's like well I, I'm, I'm not gonna we don't need to get into that v or well, i was like you know mm-hmm. all you need to know is that you know i i serve the president this is this is my role this is my life and how he imparts that on the people around him uh you know, because at first, you know, I'm like, oh, this is, yo, this is sick. I'm with Idris Elba. I'm a, I'm a ride in this, like, I'm, I'm in his car. We're going to shoot. We're going to, we're in a shootout. This is my dude. Like, hell yeah, I'm rolling with him. Um, and then when you meet up with Alex uh, for the first time, and Alex is like, yo, what, what the fuck is this guy doing mm-hmm. here? Fuck this fool. And I'm like, oh, shit, damn. Like, what right. did he do wrong? And then the more he uncovers, like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. He did a lot wrong. He did a lot <laughs> wrong. Um, and then so when, when, and I know I know we're going to talk about Songbird after this, but it's it's almost you can't talk about one without the other right. because it's instructive of who Reed is. Where the more you learn about Songbird and why she is uh, like the best netrunner in the world and serving the NUSA, and that is because of the position that Reed put her in, where he thought he was like he honestly believed he was saving somebody mm. from themselves, like help, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. let me help you, let me help you, and it, and right. you, what you realize is he's the type of guy who's going to suffocate you by telling you what he thinks is right and just imposing mm. that on you. And I, we all know people who are just like that, mm-hmm. and it, it's so it makes his character feel so believable because yeah. even through to the end. To the very, very end. If you get the new ending, Reed is the same fucking person that right. he was at the start. He and I think that's why I say that he's so stubborn is because he never learns from his mistakes. Yeah, and it's it, that's it's such a it's such a believable character, and it's done mm. so well that when I got that message w- w- from him at the with the new ending, I'm like, this motherfucker never mm-hmm. learned his lesson. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. oh. And like, mm-hmm. I think that that part of that is just how convincing Idris Elba is in embodying that character in the voice lines, right. in the way he looks 
when he talks to you and just mm. his backstory and the fact that it, it even extends to how much he's willing to forgive songbird too like as much as right. he has like ruined her life un unknowingly ruined her life and like put her in a difficult position and suffocated her with his his way of life that even like with the backstory that songbird had to betray him because it was, she was following orders he never holds that against her either right. so he's so dead set in this militaristic mm -hmm. way of thinking about loyalty and following orders and that's like he's one part of the larger story and you know he's he's always going to be that character he doesn't necessarily have this uh this character progression or this sure. development necessarily it's just that you learn so much more about him that it, it kind of you look back at all the things that he said and done previously and it you have this moment where it all clicks and like it makes perfect sense like right. holy shit and I think uh, my boy Jake Decker had mentioned this is that in one of the endings where you can sit on the sand and talk to him, uh, he just like sits down and whatever. He's just like totally despondent, mm -hmm. does not have an uh, like does not have life in his eyes. He is like he is a husk of a human being. And when V sits down, my V was just like she touches the ground. It's like, oh, fuck, yo, it's hot as fuck. Damn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then sits down next to him. He, uh, Jake had mentioned like, oh, that I think that the fact that Solomon Reed is just able to sit down and not feel anything speaks mm. to the fact that he inside cannot feel anything anymore. Mm. I'm like, yeah. yeah, damn, I don't know if that was deliberate, but damn, that's a pretty good yeah. observation, right? It's there. That, that Bojack Horseman, nothing on the outside, nothing on the inside, like yep. hand over mm. the burner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like I think some of the best moments with Reed are the moments where you see his softness come out because, like, I, I one of the things like I think about is the first time he learns about the relic in Alex's bar and like he rushes to be side like you know you see that this person has this capacity to like you know like this is just like baseline capacity to care about people but it's like always running up against the cognitive dissonance of patriotism so like and it maybe you know that's like the sort of um feeling that I get from Phantom Liberty is that like Reed cannot change because like as far as Cyberpunk 2077's visions of things are things like systems do not change people just escape them more than anything else and yeah Reed is so wrapped up in this that, like, it just, it's, like, it, it's it's fitting in the, the way that Cyberpunk tells stories for him to just never learn, no matter which route you go. And even, like, it ultimately can be his downfall in the very end is just, like, his, like, unwillingness to, you know, like, he, he's clearly got this conscience that's, like, it's wearing against him because, like, that is what makes him have those moments of softness where, like, he does try to do right by people and then it just kind of like always circles back to you know the status quo that he lives within which is he is a spy for the NUSA and he will serve his country until it ultimately kills him so yeah like I I, I find that really compelling in I, I guess in terms of his place in the story it does end up coming back to my general grievances with this game and the larger cyberpunk uh the, the capital scene cyberpunk story is that like it broadly never really feels like anything changes you know whether that's effective as a literary device is up to your discretion but it is something that constantly kind of like bothers me but like yeah it is just like inherent in the way that in, in the place that he fits into the story that like he will never change like no matter what happens even if there's a gun pointed in his head so i think he's just really really effective as a cyberpunk character in that way uh we're, we're gonna talk about i i would like to talk about that thing you mentioned at the end about um nothing ever changes I want to talk about that specifically at the end when we're talking about the new ending. Sure. <laughs> Put a big old pin in that. 
and maybe <laughs> uh, brush up on some Cowboy Bebop at home because uh, that's that's going to circle back around too. <laughs> but because uh, yeah. uh, I also recently started to rewatch Cowboy Bebop, so that's just going to play into this because that's how media works. But um, to to the point about Reed, I'm going to take it a step further. Y'all are saying he's he's got this kindness, this conscience. He's got a savior complex. This dude, yes, exactly. This dude firmly, and, and, and I, I specifically say that because he believes that he is the one that can save everybody, and he will do it to the detriment of everything else because he is the one that can manage it all. And I actually found the most compelling thing about the taking the Reed side in the story was you get to like interrogate him about this. Basically, you get to be like, dude, like what are you doing? You are, you're shoving all of your emotions down. You are not responding to me. You are not talking about the fact that we're about to attack a max tech convoy in what is likely a suicide mission to grab songbird who does not want to be saved and is only in this position because we put her there in the first place. Like we are the reason why she got captured and, and I mean, you really learn as much by doing the other side and being like, oh, if I had not tried to icebreaker Songbird, this is how it would have played out the other way. Um, and and like you, you are trying to basically be like your constant need to not just help people, but be the one that helps people mm-hmm. uh, is what is causing so much of your anguish and your problems. And I mean hell of a thing to make the nus spy master you know well well what form of government is commonly associated with interjecting their own Mm -hmm. uh, wants and desires and help where it might not be needed (laughs) um it's it it all like syncs up really really well and really well narratively to create this character who is just hurting others by trying to help them he you know and you can see it in the ways that characters start to open up a little bit more when they're not around reed and how Mm. they all have these grievances against reed and how reed himself is just in anguish every time he's thinking about getting in touch with someone he used to know but he is like in his element when he is just focused and trying to do something that he believes is a good for for people that need that good done um it's yeah it's it's a really it's a compelling character it's a compelling idea Uh, i really really like it uh alex feel like they did alex dirty and that's not just because they they kill alex off no matter what and kind of like that's not true at all i is there a version of the story where alex does not die because in both routes when i played them alex was dead hold on just just she does not die in the songbird route yeah she i i got a message that was like you cannot get in contact with alex anymore i thought the implication was that she is dead so you you can't call her initially or text her initially, but she does hit you up later. Um, okay. Did you get the scene, Michael? Uh, no, I didn't. But you told me okay. about this. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess we can talk about it now because this kind of like broadly no, ties I, yeah, into. I, I, would like, like, I would like to hear this. Yeah. Yeah, this broadly ties into talking about Alex because I think like I I think that she is just as good as the other two characters. Um, so, in the event that you do the songbird route, you know you can't call her contact her initially. But she does reach out to you at some point and says, like, come to the bar. We need to talk. Um, and she tells you that she's been given orders to, hit, to like, put a hit on you. Um, and so you kind of give you, like, well, are you gonna? And then so she says, 
Uh, generally in my line of work, when we put a hit on somebody, we have to make it look like something else. Like we have to make it look like natural causes of some kind. Given your situation, I don't really think I'm going to have to wait that long. So you share a drink and then you leave. Uh, so the implication is that like she's not, she's not going to do anything and that she's letting you go as like a sort of, you know, a, a, a goodwill gesture. Um, and you have like a, a, a talk about how, you know, Reed got caught up in everything that he did and basically like his loyalty and his patriotism was the end of him. But she wants out of that. So she's not about to take out somebody that saw through all of that for, in, in service of something that she doesn't even believe in. Um, I mean, well, yeah. So does she like explicitly say that? Because the, the read I get from what you described also just gives me that feeling of like, I'm not going to kill a dead person. <laughs> like, like, no, like he, you, you leave, you leave on good terms. Point. Like you leave oh, okay. on like okay. a sort of a, well, yeah, yeah no, like, I, I don't mean yeah. that. I don't mean that as bad anyways, but she's just like, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm going to give you the chance to like keep running until your gas runs out. Basically. No, it's, that's not the, that's not the vibe. Okay. I'm, I'm that's so, that's so good. Fuck I'm, man. Yeah. That, that does change some of my opinions about Alex a little bit. Cause my, my feeling from my two playthroughs was very much that like CD project had this really cool, uh, character, like an interesting, different, like approach to the spy stuff compared to, uh, like, like who does feel like, like she plays a little bit of a second fiddle to Reed and Songbird just cause Reed and Songbird are so like directly involved in the story. And Alex kind of feels like the person pulled into it because Reed pulls her into it um but i did like a lot of the little moments the little character moments with her uh, especially like you know having a drink at the bar and, and dancing and stuff like that like i enjoyed that her character is very much the like spy who wants to get out of it and so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when it felt like they set that up to be like oh we just had this character be the one that you like have a drink and dance with and like really get to know and then we kill them in the next mission <laughs> like so it's good to know that's not always the case and that that softens my feelings on that a little bit yeah. but I, I think her her like dying like her getting killed in action when you choose to support reed kind of just emphasizes what we were just right. saying about reed. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> emphasize like reed just does not understand consequences of his actions uh, and he's so caught up in everyone else's uh, actions and telling them what's right or wrong. And uh, it's fucking heartbreaking when you see it. Because you can, when you're in that moment, when you choose whether or not to icebreak uh, Songbird, you could see it when you look up at the window where Hanson mm -hmm. and Alex are hanging out. And it's fucking brutal. I was like, yeah. holy shit, this is, not only is this horrifying that I am being hacked by the the blackwall version of songbird but i'm also watching someone i care about get murdered and now i have to now i have to escape this this fucking dire situation and reads over comms like playing it cool and shit it's like dude this guy does not fucking understand what kind of shit we're in it's uh look all these pieces coming together to just it's so strong it's it's so good it's mm -hmm. so well done no matter yeah. what choice you make it all, all the pieces fall into place so perfectly, I think. I also think the, the jukebox scene is, like, yeah. one it's of the moments good. of the expansions. And because, I, I, like, they, they pair that with, like, the, the songbird conversation about Brooklyn. Um, mm -hmm. Because, like, he realized just, like, the dreams that the NESA has just stolen from all of these people. Because um, yeah. I think, like, they, when they do that, it really 
I think gives a lot of weight to the decision that you're going to make, like in you know an hour of gameplay, because like you realize like the larger ramifications. Like it, it goes so far beyond you. It goes so far beyond the relic. It goes to say like it goes beyond the USA and Dogtown. You are going to have like a very broad effect on all of these people and people who have been like in, basically in waiting for this moment for years at this point. Uh, well- I, yep. I do want to briefly touch on because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about now, like what Dogtown is. Yeah. Because essentially so Night City is an independent like place. It is it is run by itself. I mean, it theoretically has like a government, but as we have seen from, you know, stuff like Dream On and all that, like it is very much controlled by the Corpos and the Invisible Hand and all that. And it was at one point, I believe, at war with NUSA or the NUSA wanted to reincorporate it in some way. Um, and as part of the de-escalation peace talks, the NUSA was basically like, hey, yeah, those those dudes we have hanging out over there in Dogtown, we don't know them. We don't know who the, they're. those yahoos are up to something over there. <laughs> not not ours, though. Yeah. Um, they basically, like, abandoned Kurt Hansen and, and his men. And so Kurt Hansen was like, okay, screw y'all. Middle fingers in the air. Like, I'm establishing Dogtown. I'm running this place. And it becomes, <laughs> like, uh, do they call it, like, a demilitarized zone? Is it a DMZ? Um, but, like, it becomes, like, this separate area that they say is like part of night city, but is also just this like almost combat. Oh my God, Poe. <laughs> oh, this... baby Poe. It's like a combat zone, right? It's, yeah, it's like, well, it's people it's like... live there, but also it, there is like a sense of there, there is a military occupation that is happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially a martial law from the militia. That is the de facto government, which yes. is Hanson's people, which is the a detachment of the NUSA that said, fuck y'all like y'all y'all are just gonna abandon like they've been abandoned by the nusa when they had like the original operation like years and years ago this is like the the lore and the backstory of dogtown um and hansen and his 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 like division or whatever said fuck it we're just gonna hole up here and i guess we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna own this piece of the land and run it ourselves and they basically have set up walls where it's like this annexed zone that is landlocked by night city but is respected as its own territory in a way. Um, so like Night City and Dogtown are separate entities. Like you'd never see, you don't see NCPD at all mm. in Dogtown until you get five stars and they call Max Tack in. And I like how that's also contextualized where I think, I forgot what piece of lore it was. I think it was in the read route where you Max Tack shows up. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. they're kind of like, listen, uh-huh. No, if a cyber psycho goes comes loose, even Dogtown is willing to submit to Max Tech. Uh, I thought that was a really nice piece mm-hmm. of like lore to mm-hmm. like tie everything together. So, part of what makes Phantom Liberty's story and the presence of Dogtown feel like watertight in the lore of cyberpunk. So, um, but it is really striking to have that contrast to see how N- like NCPD runs the streets of night city and in the different districts of night city and then you go to dogtown which feels like a post-apocalyptic society mm. uh well, living in the like the streets and barely getting by and like abandoned structures yeah. and all this other shit it's a, it's an occupied state i mean it feels yeah, like yeah. It, it reminds me of footage that you see of like again i'm going to use a very blunt analogy here but like when like armed military forces are in another 
like in a foreign land and are like basically hunkered down there and are you know doing whatever armed military forces do in third world countries when they decide to invade them Mm -hmm. and like you, you see those images of like there are people trying to live their lives while active combatants are just walking around like like mm. you you walk through dogtown and there are just like war mechs and like fully kitted out soldiers i mean like gang wars and people being somewhat kitted out is not like out of the norm in night city but you don't see like the heavily armed dudes that you see in Dogtown just yeah. out walking around. You have to like go into an area where that stuff is. But in Dogtown, it's like everywhere. That's the, and, yeah, that's the norm in Dogtown. Mm. And and the thing that struck me about that was it it gave you this feeling of it's it's this island of misfit toys. It's this island of we were cast off by the mm. NUSA and Night City won't take us. So screw y'all, we're arms dealers in this walled off city and we're going to hold it down and try to establish something here. And so, Ken, in your notes, I see, like, did Hansen do anything for y'all? I think Kurt Hansen sucks. <laughs> I think Kurt yeah. Hansen is designed to suck in a way. Like, he, he just ends up kind of being what you think he's going to be and he never really strays too far from that. And he's kind of mm. just a means to an end for what the actual like tension and emotional drama of the DLC is he is, he is a blunt force object to be wielded when it is necessary and an antagonist when you need something to shoot at. But like as, as much as Hanson does not work for me, the setting of Dogtown works extremely well for me. Well, he's the most generic part of Dogtown, which is like wild to say. Cause like, I I think like something that sticks out to me also is that like, Dogtown as a place, even if it's still, like, you know, the same smoke and mirrors of every fucking open world game of just, like, making characters walk around certain areas. Like, I feel like I understood the story of Dogtown better just by existing in it than I did in most districts of Night City. Just yeah, because, like, it is yeah. small enough in scope that it feels like, oh, they, like, really carefully curated, like, the set design of every, like, mm-hmm. side of Dogtown mm-hmm. in a way that there's, like, you know, there are chunks of Night City that just kind of feel like streets that you walk on or drive on and the people that are walking around are just kind of like doing that to fill space that you have to like walk around as you're just trying to like walk through walk on the sidewalk where I felt like there were just more like I, I recognized a lot more of Dogtown just by like playing the game pretty naturally like I like I recognize like oh th- these this is where I did this quest this is where I met up with Reed here and that just I I, I think and we, we even talked about this in, in the season it's just like it feels like if cyberpunk had been smaller in scope i feel like just like so many more of those moments would have popped in terms of me recognizing a place like me kind of like a story starting to like fill in my head just for me being in a spot long enough being like oh this is you know, like when we first meet reed it's at this like uh this basketball court that is it, it's not like it's not exactly like off off of like a cliffside but like it, it at least just feels it's like it's got like a vista to it for sure yeah, it's got yeah. like a vista to it and it, it feels like you know all the uh it, it just kind of it, it kind of feels like you can imagine the citizens of dogtown being like well here's just like you know a fucking open space that we have that's not like full of like dilapidated buildings and other bullshit let's just make a fucking basketball court because that's something that we can do and just shit like that just like starts to like add up and made dogtown feel lived in in a way that not every place in night city does yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. I think um, there's there's so much there's much more personality because 
you see the distinctions where you know you have that nightclub that Mr. Hands hangs out in. You have mm. the the black market that fills the the football stadium, and then you have on the on the complete uh, like on the south side uh, of Dogtown, you have where all the cargo shipments are, and that's where like most of the people just like live, and that's where you have that tree, that memorial for all the people who have passed away. So you have all of these distinct areas. And Phantom Liberty makes you do a lot of those things in those areas. So mm, like you said, mm-hmm. Ken, like especially when we, if we want to talk about gigs, is that you know a lot of these missions take place in these streets. And when I was done with the game, I, or like near the end, I was like looking around and be like, oh yeah, I remember when this happened there, that happened there. Oh shit, the, that's where like the plane crashed and I had... Mm-hmm. Like I, I ran down this street in this district, and that I, I was funneled through these, these areas that are that felt like they were intentionally designed for a an action RPG mission, but actually, that's just Dogtown, um, mm-hmm. and so you have all of these stories about things that have happened in those streets, and then as you explore more of it and do more of the side missions and gigs, uh, you start to it starts to fill in the blanks of what life is like there. And uh, like, and especially going to near the, um, I forgot what side it is uh, of the of the district, but a lot of the gigs, especially like the one with the de- with the boxer, where you have to go through, mm. uh, like a really sad part of town where everyone's kind of a junkie, and you see, uh, you know, like this is where kind of like the the drug addicts kind of congregate, and you see right. the ugliest part of that of a. A downtrodden society and it's so stark and it's so like it's so vivid in that way that each part of dogtown because it's small also is that you are able to see all of these things and make those connections um so yeah and i, I think that gives the game or gives like dogtown such a distinguished uh like personality a, a deep mm-hmm. understanding of what life is like there what the people right. are like and even uh, other gigs like the one where you have to where the, the the clinic the 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 church where the the doctor is like oh this is where we help people with cybernetics and you know they learn about like how they're able to do that and it's like really fucked up and mm. then mm-hmm. it's like okay well this is this is what people of dogtown see as healthcare and it's like holy right. fuck dude um and they have the the the, the sports mission or the, the the gig where you uh, go into how this the sports agency recruits uh, young kids to be professional athletes and the whole story is like this is their ticket out of Dogtown, but and their ticket out of poverty but it's such a uh, such a slim chance and these kids have to go such a such a grueling thing that is irreversible that is going to fuck up their life forever if it doesn't work out mm-hmm. and it's like holy shit man it's it is it leaves a really strong impression mm. and it is striking for sure. I think there's something to be said for like the design that CD project red uh, does in this like walled city that they have. I remember walking into Dogtown initially when you're talking with songbird and you can see that like, it's like a ship that is, is overturned and has a bunch of shipping containers that have like mm. spilled out over and you're watching these big cranes and machines move them. Yeah. And then later on when you're in Dogtown and you actually go to that area where Alex has her bar and where all those different shops and stuff are and is an entire town built out of shipping containers. Mm. It is, yeah. they are all made out of those and you can see just visually 
how this place came together. And that is something, Ken, that I think was missing from mm-hmm. Night City. I think how Night City has a lot of really cool, distinct locales. Right. But especially centered around its missions. But there's a lot of, I want to say blank space, but just kind of yeah. space that exists to be traveled through and right. not to be like, observed or sat down in or like yeah. to to look at closely because it definitely feels like because like not to say that the or the main game doesn't have those moments or those places that you can stumble upon and kind of like get a sense of the place but it feels like in dogtown those moments where you kind of put things together just like happens in more rapid succession just because mm-hmm. like you're not spending all this time basically like, like you said like going through areas that just feel like they're meant to be traveled and they're not lived in mm-hmm yeah, uh, before we get into talking about any of the, the routes or the developments thereof, we do need to talk about Songbird. Uh, Songbird's one of my favorite characters in Cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. Uh, Songbird rules. Uh, Songbird is a really compelling character. I think they did a good job of creating a character that feels narratively like a foil to V, almost. Like, you have this character that has very much been shoved into uh, a realm of... I, I don't know what I am anymore and I'm trying to figure out what that is, but I've been so beholden to the things that have been pushed mm. upon me that now like I need to take whatever out I can get. And in some ways the, the way the routes pan out feel very bittersweet because of that, because you do have to make some really difficult choices that require you to be very selfish, uh, mm-hmm. but in a, in a way that also like, songbird is being too and there's there's like almost Mm. a mutual respect i felt like my character had with songbird at the end of uh what i consider like my playthrough of that that dlc and i i just really cool character i think it would have been really easy for them to write like you know a motoko kusanagi type character right it would have been easy to just have like here's the super cool net runner that can do all this stuff Mm, and is this super agent operative and and that's like the you think of cyberpunk super network like netrunner operative like Motoko from Ghost of the Shell immediately comes to mind, mm. uh, but instead I think they craft crafted a very like memorable, visually distinct, like compelling character with an interesting story that like a lot of the stuff around Brooklyn and around her her life growing up and and like the Faustian bargain she made to become what she is and the way she was pressured into it uh and and how reed played a hand in that it's, it's just all super compelling and songbird mm-hmm. is yeah songbird is like up there with some of my favorite cyberpunk characters for sure mm-hmm. yeah uh it's it's really it's wild that canonically you will not like your v does not get the whole picture of songbird either way um, right. and I think that's, that's like one of the more like fuck man, that, that hits me so hard. It's like, it's almost tragic in a way that no matter what decision you make, you don't, you, your V won't actually know the full story about songbird. Cause sure. if you go down, if you help her and embrace mm-hmm. her like that moment, like you get, you get one of the sickest fucking action set pieces in a game mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. recent memory mm-hmm. where you take her yeah cuz you have to take her to the spaceport she needs to be sent off to the space uh, because there that's where in the, on the moon they're going to figure out the cure or you have the you have the thing that they need to figure out a cure for both you and hers 
essential disease. So you have to go to the spaceport. All hell breaks loose because Reed and Myers know that you're there. And then you have to defend her uh, mm-hmm. it, as you wait for the transport to take you to the, to the rocket that's going to launch her to the moon. You have this incredible moment where you, ha- you fend off all these forces and the last ditch effort is to plug into her as well and use the black wall as sort of this, this dark magic to just mm-hmm. fry mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. fucking enemy's brain. It's so cool. Like the thing I love about cyberpunk and phantom liberty specifically is that everything feels so watertight in terms of like if you try to poke holes at it there's an answer and so for Mm -hmm. me you have like this this oh i have this super sith lord type power well it's not just like the fucking force whatever it's that oh Mm. songbird has access to the black wall and that's what makes her special and the black wall is this really terrifying thing that you're not supposed to use but if you do you kind of have this superpower in a way and then so you use her as a proxy and then you just fucking hit the attack button and you just see all these big ass military dudes just melt because you can connect Mm -hmm. to their cybernetic powers and melt their brains as if you have like the strongest fucking quick hacks possible this and it's in slow motion it's so Mm -hmm. sick and then you take her to the train and then you finally we've made it we can escape we can get the cure and then she fucking tells you the truth. Mm-hmm. There's only one cure. And she's, she did all this. She schemed all of this to save herself. Mm-hmm. It is so wild. My heart dropped. Because mm. this person I put so much trust in was actually playing me too. No matter who you choose. Reed's playing you. The president is playing you. Songbird's playing you. Everyone's playing you. And it's just like, wow. I really don't have anyone I can trust. But I think for me in that moment was that it's kind of like the way Johnny – I'll say so. I'll try back. Like the, the, it's like I almost respect it because yeah, yeah. for her, it's – she's been in, put in such a difficult position and I've been helping her and I see why she's doing what she's doing. And it's like at the end, it's like, fuck, man. Fuck you. But also, you know what? One G-G. of us is going to make it. Yeah. One of yes. us is going to make it out of yeah. here. And if it's you, then so be it. And then, yeah, w- yeah. When you make yeah. that decision, because eventually in that route, you have to make the decision: Are you going to give her up to Reed and call it there? Are you going to fucking pull out your gun and shoot Idris Elba in his head, bro? That is so fucking crazy to me. That that is that was my instinct. That was the first route I chose, and I strapped her up and sent her up mm-hmm. on her way to the moon on the space rocket, and I watched her uh, blast off into space and Johnny was there like, you know what, you know what uh, f- she played us, but respect to her. At least someone made it out of here alive. Um, and it was just really wild that yeah. um, I, I just, I didn't know how to feel about it. Like I was so conflicted that even when I, I came out empty handed, at least I helped someone. But at the same time, when you go back and then you play Reed's route, and you see how much trauma has been inflicted upon her. It's like, in a way, it, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did make the right decision the first time to save her, <laughs> to be honest. But your V doesn't know that uh, if you just cho- chose that route, which is like, I, fucking crazy. I, I, I don't know. So, like, the, the interesting thing I see about Songbird, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about Songbird before we get into some of the ending stuff here. But, mm-hmm. like, um, 
the the interesting thing with Songbird is that like everyone in Night City has like a not to like belittle it, but like a sob story, right? Like everyone has their troubles in in Night City, but the thing that I found really compelling about Songbird was it almost ends up putting you in the shoes of Reed where like, if you are helping songbird instead of helping Reed, you can kind of end up in the situation where you are trying to be the savior mode for this, for this character too, where you are trying to do right by this character. Mm -hmm. And then you do have the option at the end to like, but what if you could get, a cure out of this. And and I think it poses a really interesting question to the player that has kind of been building up throughout all of Phantom Liberty is like how we, we talked about it way at the beginning, like how much are you willing to sell out to save yourself? Yeah. Like how are you willing to give this up? Can you live with yourself if you do this? And it, it doesn't really even feel judgmental of you in that moment. I mean, there there's, things that happen and you can feel a certain way about them but so much of what i think is compelling about phantom liberty is like you have these characters who are all in it for themselves everyone is in it for themselves whether they admit it or not reed can say that he wants to help people but he's helping himself by helping people um alex just wants to get out and stay out for good this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Songbird just wants a cure. Myers wants Songbird to be a walking like war crime that can destroy yeah. nations if she needs her to. Um, like everyone is in it for themselves, and and Songbird ends up being this really interesting catalyst for that moment because she ultimately is not able to think outside herself and not act selfishly. Mm. And so you then have to ask yourself whether you are going to do that or not. And whether that like, you don't get any, I mean, you get Idris Elba's gun, but <laughs> like <laughs> you, tier five plus baby. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good pistol, but uh, like you don't get like a, a pat on the back at the end of the day. I mean, you don't get a reward. You, you don't really get much except out of knowing that like, you did the right thing when it counted. And I think that's really compelling. And that's kind of why that, that game jumped up for me at, at the ending. Cause I will say that like, we, we haven't talked too much about like broad story pacing, but I think the story pacing of Phantom Liberty is kind of iffy. If only because it's, it's got the, it's got the stupid, you, you so gotta, what? you gotta wait for the cell phone call. Go do, go do gigs and side missions. Yeah. Yeah. It's look, look, it, it's goofy. I think that stuff. It's, I know it's it makes it believable. No, it does. Okay, mm. Michael, I've been waiting to have this conversation with you All for right. the podcast. Yeah, let's do it. I there is a veneer of believability when it comes to this. You think of like Shenmue, right? Where okay, the the office opens at nine a.m. and closes at five p.m. So I better make sure I'm there at nine a.m. so I can go get the thing I need. And if I don't make it there by that time, I haven't managed my day well. Then darn it you know games like pathologic do that too something about the way that time is not an actual like factor in cyberpunk you can fast forward time as much as you want and the relic will never kill you right i i I want to say yeah 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 yeah. like like time is not an actual mitigating factor in that game and so inserting 
those moments to be like, it, it is basically CD Projekt telling you, hey, go play our side quests now. <laughs> please, please detour to the side quest area. It feels very artificial to me. Feels very like obvious in what they are doing. And I, I actually liked it more when they were just specifically like, oh, hey, before we do this next part of the heist, uh, we need to build up some rep in Dogtown and, like, get on Mr. Hand's good side. So why don't you go do some, like, gigs for Mr. Hand's? That felt more natural to me than then just being like, well, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. we'll see you when we see you. And if you happen to do some side quests on the side, that might help you pass the time. Or you could just sleep in a bed for three days and we'll call you back then. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's such a minor thing that literally does not detract anything from my experience of the game. Because also, like, yeah, I went and went and did gigs and side quests. And by the time they were ready, they called me up and they said they were ready. I'm like, oh, shit. I literally did not have to wait for anything in this game. I know. So. I, I know. It, it, it only becomes really obvious, I think, when you have finished the the DLC and you start doing the stuff that's like, okay, now wait for like the epilogue stuff. And those waits are super long. And I know because I had to artificially jump through them every time I wanted to see what the alternate path was or something like that. I know that is me going outside the bounds of how a person might normally experience those events, but it did jump out at me that like, if you are a person who's jumping in with an end game save, that is just trying to play the DLC and then maybe see the new ending, those weights are going to feel much more tangible. And I remember coming off of cyberpunk, the Normandy season, that was something that we ran into a lot too, was we wanted to progress a quest. We wanted to play a certain thing. And that either meant going and doing something else because the game decided that it needed us to wait in that moment or just hitting the wait button. And so, Ken, I, I don't know, did that rub you the wrong way this time around? I mean, and, and it, as much as it ever did, like, it was, um, yeah, I, I feel like we are playing the expansion in, like, a set of circumstances that I don't know that everyone else is going to be. So yeah. I, I think it might have felt more pronounced. But it, it, I mean, I guess, like, in the grand scheme of things, it is as much as it has ever been. And that is one of the things that, I, you know, 2.0 does not address that. It'll address all these other things, but then there are all these other parts that are just, like, baked into how the game is structured and, like, how mm. things literally, like, load into the world. Um, so, at, at the very least, like, it was not any worse or better, but it was just, like, a thing about this game that still bothers me. True, true, true. Uh, Ken, did you want to talk any more about Songbird before we, we jump forward to some of the route stuff in the endings? Yeah, so, so some of the things that stick out to me about Songbird is that she is, like, it's one of those... Um, like, storytelling through character design kind of things, where she is, like, the physical embodiment of, like, so many themes of both the expansion and also just, just like, the the parallels that it's trying to make between her and V throughout. Because, like, you first meet her, like, she's, you know, this hologram through the relic, and she, you know, seems, you know, pretty normal. And then when you finally meet her, like, she is almost probably, like, more cybernetic. than... Mm, basically mm. like more than 50% of her body is cybermanetic and then that in and of itself is just like the represent like the physical manifestation of all the things that Reed is ignoring all the things that Myers has put her through all like the dangers that still like lurk over V as like you know this person that embodies like the potential oblivion that you can maybe be facing in this story and what I loved about interacting with her was that she had that like from you know, from a visual standpoint, that was always kind of just, like, looking back at me, like, this, like, very haunting vision of all these things. 
but then when we were able to just talk to each other one-on-one, like, it's, you know, she she came from Brooklyn, I came from Haywood, like, you know, there you see these, like, parallels that it, it so well illustrates between her and B that makes those decisions so much harder. Because I think, like, you know, ultimately, you know, Reed and Alex, they get swept up in whatever you do, but ultimately, like, Songbird is, like, the core of every decision that you make in this expansion. And it was just, like, such an interesting feeling to be with this character that, and like, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how this would read for, like, a Nomad or a Corpo V, but, like, a Street Kid one, that, like, just seeing this character that came from the same, you know, humble beginnings as me, um, and having conversations with her, like, on the way to the, uh, to the airport in her route, where she's like, how do you, you know, you go through this, you know, hugely transformative thing, how do you, like, still you know, do right by everybody around you. And, like, I had, I had a dialogue option to be, like, I tried to, like, do my best by Carrie. And, you know, in spite of everything that I do, like, I know that I have people that I care about that I need to also be working in service of more so than I am myself, more so than I am being a Night City legend, more so than you might be towards your country. Um, so I just, like, I, I, like, so bought in to Songbird as this sort of, like, reflection on Cyberpunk 2077, because, like, there's a lot of... I think that that was, like, one of my biggest takeaways. And, like, I mentioned this earlier, is that, like, there's so much reflection in Phantom Liberty for something that feels, like, on paper, I think, before we actually played it, when they were talking about, like, what the concept is, it felt so Omega when I wanted the Citadel mm. for Cyberpunk 2077. And I just feel like I... I still kind of feel that way in some ways that we'll talk about more as we get to, like, the, the new ending. But, like, it just felt so tied to everything that I gave a shit about in this game and that Songbird just embodied so much of that is I think what make, like makes her like you know, like like you said like she ascends so high in a game that like I, I love a lot of the characters in this game you know there are a lot of them that I can take your leave but like there are ones that I genuinely do love like if you maybe make a tier list of all my favorite video game characters some of them might be on it um <laughs> and she would be on there like she's just she so embodies like all the best parts of cyberpunk to me which will you know we can, we can keep going and like talk about those in more depth but it's like i really fucking bought it into that character so hard yeah yeah i think songbird is the absolute like standout of of i don't want to say this game but this dlc for sure and i think wound up being this really really compelling character and i do also want to note that like there there's not a lot of content that exists for like the uh, characters that you already know in Phantom Liberty, but I do think they did a good job of like having occasional moments where you could mm-hmm. like contact people. I, I yeah. understand that there's like some limitations there. Like you kind of get, you know, a conversation with your significant other and it's a lot of it is over text because obviously it wouldn't make a ton of sense. So we'll, we'll talk about the new ending where they did bring the voice actors back in for that. But a lot of it happens, the times that happen in Phantom Liberty or over text are very, like... Yeah, or you can, there. you can go see them, like, at their place and you can tell them what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I did think, like, even as minute as it was, that was the kind of, like, a, like coexistence that just doesn't fucking exist in the main game. Because um, we talked about, like, okay, they added text and stuff, but, like, in terms of feeling, like... I was talking to Carrie about things that were happening as opposed to just like having some like abstract conversations about like one, his quest lines very specifically, or just like generally like building our relationship. Um, 
you know, those existed, but in terms of me being like, hey, here's some fucked up shit that I'm doing right now. Let me tell you about it. Like, like it, it's like that feeling of like going home and telling your significant other about your day. Uh, that like is very small, but like it's more than the original game had. Yeah, I, I, there's still an element of me that wants them to interact in a more meaningful way, and I know we're probably not going to get that in this game, and, and yeah. that's kind of a shame. But uh, at least like having some extra stuff here adds that little extra cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Now we should. We already talked a little bit about them, but I want to go back to the songbird route specifically. Um, something that you mentioned, Michael, uh, the black wall stuff. The black wall is like, I was curious why they specifically said like, oh, you you know, you need to do the voodoo boys stuff specifically like yeah. transmission, mm-hmm. mop tempelen to do like, uh, to do this stuff. And I was always like, oh, why why are they choosing that? Like that's a very strange mission and it was obviously because like concepts like netwatch the black wall uh we're going to get tied in and there was a part of me that did think that this was somehow going to result in like maybe you send johnny out beyond the black wall to be with alt or maybe alt like alt would get involved in all of this somehow i'm kind of surprised that alt did not get involved in all this somehow Mm. but um just the idea of I've always loved the concept of cyberpunk's internet being so enclosed because, and so like analog and local network, because uh, the actual internet that exists outside the black wall is kind of this vast territory of rogue AIs that have completely eaten the internet alive. And Hey, look, damn, in a world wow. hmm. like I kept thinking about it because we are in like a world where I, I always have thoughts. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. And this is just what I think about before I go to sleep. But like the internet is always expanding. It's always getting larger. There are always more layers to it every single day. And now we are trying to create these tools that can sift that information that can surface it, that can maybe even start to comprehend it if only through the lens of of being told what to comprehend but like there is something to that idea of a terrifying abundance of information and i love that that's what the black wall is in in uh in cyberpunk and the idea of tapping into it it's like it's like the apple of knowledge right it's it's the forbidden fruit from the garden it's you you're not supposed to touch that because what exists out there is not for us to understand or perceive. And so when we tap into it and we're, we're personal jacked in, which is also a really cool touch. I love like the personal Jack is that like, it, it, it is a, like a personal thing to you. It is like linking your brain to somebody else. Uh, and, and you're, you're jacked together with songbird and you're able to use that, that black wall hacking that it is that level of, such advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it is that moment where yes, there is a tangible explanation for what is happening in front of you, but it might as well be magic because it is that terrifying. Yep. And I I think it does so much more for me than what a lot of hacking has done in this game. A lot of hacking, even still, I like the quick hacks. I like the way they, they made it feel more tangible like you're programming out this this series of code that executes and you're being very smart and very thoughtful about how you do it in a way that you weren't in the base game but still 
hacking is kind of just you look at somebody and you install your quick hacks on them and you, and you go and good job. <laughs> and here seeing it like turned into this terrifying force that literally, like you said, it melts people. It, it overheats them. It destroys them. It rips them apart from the inside in a way that looks like you are the Ark of the Covenant, like ripping people <laughs> yeah. apart is so, so good. It's such an incredible way, an incredible moment to show all of that. And yeah, I, I love that. That that might be one of my favorite parts of Cyberpunk period is just that moment of you have tapped into something that even as I was doing it, I was like, I shouldn't have done this. This was a bad idea. <laughs> I, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 well, I'll, y- y'all can talk a little bit about it because I was going to make a very bold take that would, would have spun us out in different directions. So we can talk uh, a little well, bit more. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I also, for, like, okay, for all the, the character reasons I just said, I, I really, like, resonated with this, this route. But I also just, like, the, um, <clears throat> the, like, the first half of it just feels like the most kind of, like, it, it feels like the more, uh, I guess the more direct route from everything that's come before in Phantom Liberty in terms of feel like it still feels like a, a like you know the spy thriller sort of vibe they're going for because like you're mm-hmm. having to sneak into the airport and you know you, basically you've got her like stuck in a fucking in the back of your van like kind of being your guy in the chair while she's fucking dying also mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that felt that felt, that just felt like a really solid like kind of like this, this sort of continuation of everything that you've already done. And it, it felt good as, you know, the, the stealthy hacker V that I am to kind of go in quiet and, like, basically be quiet for as long as I possibly could until that really climactic fight. So in that way, it just felt very consistent and concise. Like, it, it, that's something I'm kind of, like, wrestling with, like, what is the quote-unquote, like, intended route. not what I, not right, because we don't ascribe to that here at Normandy FM, but, like, what is, like, <laughs> the, the thematically appropriate one? I mean, I'll just say that I like this. I like this route more than I like the read route in terms of gameplay. Like, I think yeah. this one's way more interesting to play because it feels like you're engaging with all of cyberpunk systems. Mm-hmm. You're having to infiltrate the spaceport. There are so many different options in which you can choose to infiltrate the spaceport. How like, did, I how did y'all do it? I I went through the railway. Um, yeah, you went through the vent. I was watching you. You went through the vents. I was like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I picked up the 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 outfit from the baggage Same. claim, yeah, 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 and then switched it and then just walked through everything as if I was one of the workers there. So y'all yeah. both did that, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you don't do that, if you go into the vents, uh, you you can basically like work your way through like the machinery of the spaceport, and you have this section where you are sprinting between, like indents in the wall as like high speed rail cars are blitzing by and it's kind of like you know the scene in all those heist movies where you're like it i think oceans 11 had it where he was dodging the elevators as they were going up and down Mm. um it's it's that moment where you are like sprinting across this rail while you are waiting you know and kind of listening to like oh is there a train that's like speeding in behind me or not uh it felt really really cool (laughs) <laughs> and uh and then you kind of work your way up through the the construction rafters up to uh the point where i imagine it it just converges which is where you bring songbird up using the fire hose um and, and then obviously it culminates in the big showdown and and defending songbird and the black wall and the tram ride and the 
Oh, the same. I I fucking knew. I knew Reed was gonna walk out on that mm. walkway. Yeah. I I I saw that walkway, and I was like, he's gonna he's gonna walk right out of that door, and he did, and it was so good. And uh, even yeah. even just the shot of like you're watching the rocket take off with Johnny is like wallpaper material, and it's mm. so good. I I that is my favorite ending. That that is, uh-huh. or, or at least of the two Phantom Liberty endings, let's say we're not going to talk about cyberpunk endings yet, but like of the Phantom Liberty endings, I found that one way more interesting than the Reed one, which I think had a really cool combat idea with the max tech ambush. And, and I somewhat enjoyed the fight with max tech. I think it was kind of goofy at times because, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to, to fight, these dudes that are just cyberware blitzing everywhere. And I think they still haven't solved how to make that not look silly. Like the way they are, you're shooting at them and they're just like kind of vibrating back and forth in place to show that they are dodging your bullets. (laughs) And you have to wait for, for Reed to like hit them with the special bullet so you can do damage to them. And there's, there's kind of some goofiness there. Um, And then I'm all just put this out there. I, I didn't like the Cerberus at all i mm. do we want to talk about that do we did we want to talk about the the songbird route at all before we go into the the read route was there anything left we want to talk about the songbird route um i mean uh, i mean yeah i kind of already i glossed over it earlier so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just i, I mean i've got an i've got a notes that we're supposed to talk about what we did ended up doing at a different point but like what the fuck we're out here um so i ended up <laughs> so like i ended up yeah, you know, well, I did every route just to like see it for right, review's right. sake. But um, in terms of like where I ended up falling as far as like my quote unquote canonical Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven playthrough, I ended up sending Songbird off uh, and killing Reed to do it. Cause like yeah, ultimately, I, that, like that I, was what I also I think all three of us did that yeah, all, for our first yeah, runs. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Um, so, because like my my feeling was largely. I think it was a mix of emotions about how I felt about Songbird after she, you know, in her delirium, like, told me what she'd done. Because part of it was, like, I, I, I said it as a joke earlier, but, like, Gigi, like, okay, you, you like, outsmarted yeah. everyone in this, like, part of me. It's like, I respect that. But also, like, I think there was just, like, part of me that, like, saw enough of myself in her to be, like, I I get it. It's, like, I, yes, I am annoyed, but I have I have other options that, that I can keep trying yeah and so i was like you've gone through more than i fucking have like this this has been your life for years for me this has been like you know a month at most a few weeks and so i just i didn't have it in me to betray her at that point even though she betrayed me um because i was like you you at least earned your happy ending here yeah i I was very much like my v if she could save somebody, if she could like ensure that someone was going to get out of this clean, she was going to. And I think with the deal that Reed was offering, you know, I didn't really trust the NUSA to like hold up their end of the deal mm-hmm. at all to like magically be like, Oh, well we can cure you back at Langley. I was like, yeah, no, I'll be at six feet under in the desert is where I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, if I know that I can put songbird on the shuttle, and and send her somewhere where she can both be safe and get away from all this right then i will do that for someone else i will i will put that mm-hmm. out into the world and then i will 
figure out what I do next. But um, I, I, I really like the way that that wraps up. And it does ask you, like, are you willing to betray someone the way that Songbird has betrayed you? I think that's like a compelling right. question for the yep. game to ask you. Yeah, it, it, it like the it, it's very rare in these choice based moments in games where I am like genuinely conflicted about what I'm going to do or what <laughs> I want to do. Um and it really like I exhausted all the dialogue options in that standoff with the read. And I'm like, wow, fuck. This game is really like this this one, this feels like a believable situation that I am now in. But I need to make a decision right fucking now. And I just need to go with my gut and live with the consequences. And I'm just like, fuck, I guess I'm pulling out my gun and shooting him. Like yeah. mm-hmm. it is it is wild how Phantom Liberty uh gives you choice rather than you know in in other games especially coming off of starfield it's it makes those choices so blatantly like a a decision to make on paper and then okay cool you have a variation of whatever route we have predetermined for you um whereas phantom liberty builds up into this moment hits you with a revelation right before you need to make that decision and then asks you to think about it for maybe 30 seconds and then okay you gotta you gotta go you gotta do something about this yeah it it, it feels so natural and it it's ah god it oh yeah i just i love that it's one of like the really effective uses of like the whatever the cyberpunk equivalent of of of, like a renegade interrupt is where like you have like a very like split second decision you have to make because it's it throws like you know this revelation at you and then like you have to deal with all the conflicting emotions and like basically, like, shove them down as fast as possible while you have to, you know, make a decision that is going to be far-reaching. Um, you, like, sure, you can pause the game, but that's, like, not in the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah. Because, like, there are so many moments in this game where, like, you know, the dialogue stops for you and, like, waits. Like, lets you think. Where that's just not really happening here. Mm-hmm. You've got Idris Elba with a gun to your face, and you kind of got to make a decision right now. And so I think that's, like, one of the ways it's really effective. Because, like, it's kind of that feeling of where, like, they're like, okay, flip a coin, and then you'll know what you really want to do. And it's basically, like, that made so immediate that you know the emotions of what you actually want to do, like, will come up rising very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, like, how I knew what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. Just because, like, I, I had no qualms about what I wanted to do. It was never a matter of, like, not being, not having conviction in that, because it just, like, immediately came to me. Songbird ending. The good ending. Let's talk about the bad ending. <laughs> um, okay, so read. So if we choose the read option, everything goes to shit. Songbird has seen right through our master plan, betrays us to Kurt Hansen. We fight a really disappointing fight against Kurt Hansen, I got to say. Um, that dude. <laughs> that dude. I mean, he's got like one move, and it's a good move. He knows He knows the good button on, on his <laughs> fighting game character of choice. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's got the Zangief Lariat down, but like, that's all he knows how to do. And if you figure that out, like you've got him. Um, but after all that, we, we get into the, so songbird gets captured. I do. I agree. I really like that scene where max tech comes in and you get to like, see, Oh, Hey, remember that max tech exists and is like terrifying. Uh, mm-hmm. well, guess what? You're going to have to fight them in a second because you set up the ambush. And... Or before, before that, you have to watch them take songbird away from yeah. afar. Yeah. Like watching from... over the cliff with Reed is, that was pretty fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the ambush is a little bit more compelling in concept than it is in gameplay. 
because they do that whole thing of like we're gonna set up this whole thing and you want to put mines here or turrets here and what do you want to do and then i felt like at the end of the day what i really ended up doing was a a lot of similar combat to what I had done up to that point. The ambush was like really easy to execute. And again, this might just be because we have like end game characters at this point. Uh, and then the max tack fight was not wild about again. Cause like it, it was just, you were trying to wait for Reed to hit the dude with a sniper bullet. So you could actually do things and that doesn't always feel fantastic in a game where it's like you have to wait for the AI, for, for the computer to say, like, it, it's it's a game of red light, green light, right? Like, okay, you can do stuff now. Okay, now stop. Okay, you do stuff now. Now stop. And and it, it just it oscillated too fast. I don't know if y'all liked that ambush more or less. Um, I mean, I, I if anything, like, it's it sold me on the idea that I'm working with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like uh, on a mechanical perspective, it could be whatever. Like it could be as simple as it wants to be, but the fact that I was able to integrate, like, oh, I chose the side with Reed, and now I have to work with him. So mm. if this is how you're going to me- mechanically represent that, uh, I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, I had to, I had some trouble with the fight because I had gone into Phantom Liberty at like the lowest, as fast as possible, with the lowest level character. Um, so I found a lot of the combat scenarios challenging in a way that made me stretch the the combat systems to its max, and I love that about it. Uh, and this is one situation where I feel like, ooh, maybe I hit a wall a little bit. Um, but, when, <laughs> what, yeah, but once I figured out, like, okay, I need to wait for Reed to hit for him to do that, it's like, okay, cool. Now I can, like, work with him, bounce with him, buy myself time when I need to. Uh, I thought there could have been, like, another phase in that fight where it's like, okay, now Maxac is now sending in they're an, an airdrop and it's like oh fuck we didn't anticipate this and they're really trying to secure this um this captive that they got um but overall i'm like okay cool like at least in this route you have your big combat moment because after that mm. there is yeah. no more combat and it is yeah fucking crazy well, at least from my opinion what they pull off after that max tech fight is fucking wild and i love yeah. it for that uh, I think it kind of rules too. To it fuck yeah, it fucking rules. Are you, are you, are we talking about the max tech fire? Are we talking about the uh, what's after, after the everything next after. section? Yeah, okay, what it turns so, into so alien isolation. That, yeah, so conceptually, I like this a lot. It's really freaking cool. You're in this old, like rundown, uh, corporate area. You're so far underground and there's so much like interference. I love the moment when you're like taking the platform down with Johnny and you're just like descending into mm. the abyss. Like multiple times they have you do that bit, right? Like they have you do the jump into the water and the the descent down the elevator. And I don't even fault them for doing it twice because it feels cool twice. But like <laughs> yeah. uh and I love that you don't have a normal map. You have this like physical map that you have to pull up and everything's very like I think I had some initial frustration with the game telling me what it wanted me to do. Like it was not very clear, like, Oh, okay. I need to go to these terminals and access them to hit the vault. And like, that's the first knock I'm going to give it is it feels very video gamey. Like, Oh, the door won't open, go access the four different terminals and use them. And then it introduces like the twist, right? Which is that there is a thing that is hunting you. That is like, for for whatever reason, unkillable. I, I do they give you a reason for why V can't at least try 
to take it out. It's not hackable. Um, is it like largely bulletproof? Did any of y'all try shooting it? Yeah, um, it's like you. It'll just run up on you and instant kill you. Is the thing. So so, so that's. I. Uh, this this game is not a stealth game by design. It has Think stealth element. It has stealth elements, but this is not Splinter Cell. This is not Thief. This is not a game that is intended to be played stealthily. And I bring I, that up, mm. and it, I'm not saying if y'all, I, I'm not assuming y'all are going to say this, but just in case anyone has the thought, this is not like a, oh, I got insta killed by the thing, and and that's annoying to me. I just don't like hide and seek gameplay. I don't think I've ever found it entertaining. I don't find it to be an interesting play space for the player because too often you are just kind of given either something that feels too laid out and easy to understand and manipulate, or you're kind of just left to do this sort of waiting game where you like, okay, you touch the thing. And this cyberpunk did the thing that I always really dislike in horror games, which is the second you touch this, the story critical thing, wherever the monster might've been, it's now five feet behind you and you have to run and hide because they want you to have that moment, that tension. And it's like, cool. The first one or two times, but the third or fourth time I was like, I get it. I touched the terminal, the monsters here. I hear it approaching. I'm going to go hide now. Like it was, I was starting to game that fight in ways where I was seeing through a lot of like, the design work around it where I sprinted past it at one point and it didn't like, I only got insta killed by it once when I was doing something profoundly stupid in front of it. (laughs) But otherwise, like I literally ran past it, like in front of it a few times and it never grabbed me or killed me. And I was just like, okay, I don't think this thing is actually that scary anymore. And, and then it, there was one moment where it was genuinely scary, but um, otherwise I was just like, it's a really cool concept and a really cool idea that they think, I I think they do it a little bit too long. I think it goes on a hair too long. And I think they do it in, in too much of an area where like, if maybe you were only handling two or three switches, then it would feel a little bit different, but you're doing, you do like seven of them over the course of that, where you were being chased by this monster for lack of a better term. And I just think it like drags on for a very long time. But y'all like it. Y'all talk about it. I've I've said my piece. <laughs> so Damn. I think Cyberpunk 2077 is a stealth game because that's how I build my character and play it. So this is the first time. Like, all y'all that are like, oh, I just fucking shot Adam Smasher until he died. Well, now you're in my world, and this is how I live <laughs> yeah. in Night City. So I thought it was fucking cool. Like, sure, it's not like, like, yeah, it's not Splinter Cell in terms of, like, it's got, like, a lot of systemic depth to itself but just like feeling like the tools that i had were like specifically catered to this moment was a very cool feeling um i didn't really get caught either except for there was one point where uh they, it's like don't like the, the 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 quest marker says like don't get caught and i was like okay cool and so like it's gone that way so i'm gonna go this way and then like the second you try to open the door it's got like a a body check yeah. so it like yeah. takes longer and then it makes noise and then it's like oh it fucking found you so you, then that's when you realize oh your job here is to actually just like stay hidden long enough that it gives up it goes away um <laughs> so yeah i just i i just really appreciated like the boldness of it to pivot so hard into a different genre and like sure it's not 
as effective as I think things that are like built to be that. But it still was like in the confines of Cyberpunk 2077, which have greatly expanded after 2.0. I just thought it like did a really great job in that framework. Yeah, I, th- I think it is, it is super effective because one thing I like about Phantom Liberty is that they oftentimes the missions introduce a concept, use it and then move on mm-hmm. and they don't go back to the well. Um, like, for example, when you have to like investigate the or interrogate the personalities to get the personalities of the twins at the roulette table, and then you mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. confront Hanson disguised as the twins and have the conversations and play into the, the personalities of the French twins. Like they mm-hmm. do that mm-hmm. once and then you move on. Uh, and it's the same thing with this route where they introduce this horror genre into it straight up alien isolation type shit. And this is the only moment that this game uses that element Mm. and it's used to great effect and it doesn't have to be in depth and you can eventually you can figure out how it works but as a thematic fit as a tool for this specific moment where songbird is essentially indistinguishable from blackwall where Mm. you don't know if it's her or if it's if it is what's beyond the black wall that is controlling this entire facility against you is you feel that you feel that tension. And I think when you take away, you know, the quest markers where now I have to look at environmental clues, I have to read what's on top of the doors like, oh, that's the room I need to go in. I'm looking at this map. I don't know where I am in this map, but I'm going to look around and like, oh, okay, I'm there. I need to make it to this room, which is across this way, but I'm going to wait. Uh, I'm going to stealth my way there. And once I get onto the terminal, and they use the hacking minigame too. You can find your 55, your 1C, mm. whatever the fuck, to hack this fast enough so that you don't fucking get caught by the robot was such a cool idea where it's using this familiar concept of hacking terminals and then f- reusing it in a completely different context. And instead of like, all right, I'm just going to like, okay, I'm going to, get euro dollars or i'm going to get quick ha- crafting components or whatever when i do this fucking hacking minigame now it's like fuck i need to find mm-hmm. 1c and 55 in this column or else i'm gonna get fucking stabbed in the back and if i don't do it in time i'm gonna like i'm gonna get off the computer and hide in the corner and i felt the tension all the way through um yeah. i think because i just didn't know what the game was trying to do up at this point because i was like is this trying to be a horror game or not and then the more and more I got into it, the more I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, this is what this is. Like, it's trying to right. make me do this. Um, so it was surprising. It was really it was a very surprising element in the game. And I like, 100% bought into it uh, mm. as a thematic fit, but also from a gameplay perspective. And like I had been playing the game um, largely stealthily as well. So mm. it's like, okay, now I got my cloak. I know like I'm ducking. I got my... I'm super fast. Like I could sprint while I'm crouched as well. So I had these elements that kind of gave me an upper hand with what the game was asking me to do. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to that second half where it's no longer about like hack the hacking mini game at the terminals. Now it's like, okay, I need to tr- turn down like the thermal the thermal, whatever the fuck they are. And yeah. I'm like, Oh shit, I need to see where all the six different pillars are. And then I'm going to quick hack them to overheat them so I can destroy them. Um, so it's like, it's, all these smaller elements that come together for just a brief moment. Like this is the only time we're going to do this. Um, and it is super effective. And along the way too, Songbird is projecting images of her past in those environments. 
Yes, and that that was cool. That was yeah. And like little by little, you see her take the oath. You see her first like operation when she becomes so much more of a like cybernetically enhanced. You see the moment with her on the bench bench talking to, with Reed where she is conflicted, and you could oh my god, you, you could see Reed doing it again where he's like, no, you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm, Believe mm-hmm. me, I'm. This is the right. You cho- made the right choice. And that all culminates to like the like all that tension kind of is is all relieved when you have that flashback to her apartment in Brooklyn. And I think this is the most memorable part about Phantom Liberty is like this may not be the best route. This may not be my V's canonical route, but in this route you get to you live the life of Songbird and you see her life flash before her eyes in this in these next moments right before you have to make your final decision for the route and when you get transported to her apartment in her memories like i didn't really know what was going on i was like what the fuck what, what is this is this like a flashback in like night city or is this whatever you look around in her apartment and like oh, okay cool this is this is i guess this is where she lived she has a bunch of posters on the wall um it's just like a normal ass apartment that any of us live in and then i looked out in the window i was like oh fuck we're in new york mm-hmm. like that moment was just like really struck me to where cyberpunk at least 2077 is so embedded its identity is so tied to night city and so right. and phantom liberty's identity is so tied to Dogtown. and in a way i almost forgot that there's a world outside of night right. city in mm-hmm. here so like that moment when i looked out the window and saw like brick buildings that you see in new york mm-hmm it made me feel like finally this story is branching out to something beyond the aesthetic of cyberpunk outside of what we know of night city where you're using songbird as a character to tell this like really tragic story. And you want to be, you, the game tries to make you feel, feel something for her. And it really achieves that of course. But I think that just like that visual alone mm-hmm. was like, fuck man, she really lived a life outside right. of this fucked up world that we've, interacted with throughout this whole game for well, so she long. she was basically abducted into something else. Yeah. And you look at the pictures on her wall and you see her like on vacation with her mom. She's holding the fuck dude like yo. Mm. She's holding a picture with her friends and there's that one spot there's that one spot in in New York where you uh it's like that one street where you could see like the Brooklyn Bridge in the background and everyone takes that's like the tourist's favorite spot to take pictures in. She's holding this picture with her friends and it's just like damn man. She was like a yeah. whole nother person who mm. had this who had this like life that we lived. And right. like this the scenes, the memories that you see in her apartment where she's like partying with her friends and she hooks up with one of her friends too. It's like, oh shit, this is crazy. I shouldn't be seeing this right now. But this is this is who Songbird is. This is the life that she lived. Um mm. it was so powerful to me. And throughout that, you learn more about her life. She's talking to you about like what is it like what does it mean to be human? All these all these these broad questions that mm-hmm. that the genre always asks of you, and she's like talking to you like that. And as as it progresses, you see the black wall, or yeah, you see the black wall slowly converging on this memory, as if she's losing herself. Slowly, slowly, she's losing her memories. 
Um, and it was just like this really powerful moment where it all clicked for me where mm-hmm. she really felt like a full character mm-hmm. in a way that few games are able to, at least in my experience, uh, are able to really sell me on. And so, mm-hmm. and it, it does it so quick. Like it's, it's an expansion. Yeah. It's maybe 25 hours max, right? Mm-hmm. But it speaks to how Phantom Liberty is u- able to use its time so effectively. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, once it was all erased away and you had to make the final decision, I was just like floored. Yeah. And it, it's just, and yeah. yeah. And I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's like the wildest part about that is that all of that is contained in the route that's not quote unquote hers. Like, it's not the one where yeah. you're like, like you find all, you find out all this shit kind of like retroactively after, after you have done something horrible to this person. Um, and I think like, and this is something that I think is really fascinating to look at all the endings of cyberpunk as well. Cause I, I think this is just kind of like a, a philosophy they seem to have that extended into Phantom Liberty is that like all of the endings of the base game are very unapologetic in withholding information from you because like you have to do the Hanako ending to get like the full breadth of the Arasaka story. Or you have to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Rogue ending to see all of Johnny's story. You have to do the Nomad one to see all of the Autocado story. And that's just, like, the way that they seem to write stories in this in this world. Yeah. Is that, like, they have these hard breaks, these hard, like, diverging routes that are not simply, like, you make a decision and it colors a certain, uh, like, it, it colors, like, a certain sort of um, scenario that you go through the, across all of them it is like no you are going to learn very specific things because you went this very specific route and that just seems to extend to phantom liberty in a way that is kind of like it's a little maddening just like how much you miss out on um, but like depending on which ending you get or which, which ending you go through because and I, I think that kind of just speaks to like the sort of uh real estate of the story of Phantom Liberty is that like it spends like it, it has such a smaller scope and scale that basically like dividing in half means like you are going to miss out on so much just by going down one route and yeah. it is really kind of heartbreaking to be in like to learn all this stuff and realize that it's too late for you to use all this information like I mean sure like literally like you can reload your save and do whatever you want but just in terms of like the story that is told in this route like V has to live with what they have done in all like with all this new context yeah i mean that the information only comes to light because you are interrogating hanako you are like impressing or not hanako uh asomi you're 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 like interrogating like these characters but it's the same for hanako it's the same for for uh pan am it's the same for all these characters that the game at some point says like you have a limited amount of time and you have to choose like who you Mm -hmm. trust the most in this moment and in some ways trusting so me means that you are not really like, like you don't need to hear that backstory because you trust her at this moment. Like, like you're handing some, some blind faith over the same way that you hand a lot of blind faith to read. in if you take reads route. And I think that is compelling in and of itself. And I also just like the idea that like this stuff is, is split off. um, Right in some ways, like I'm glad I saw the read stuff because um, it, it, it did give me like more of an appreciation for the storytelling, but th- this, this might sound weird, but I consider the stories to be like, like, like once you branch that point, they're independent of each other. And I don't like the idea of like, Oh, I have missed 
story sure. because the story has been told. And I, I'm not saying that like that's you know that that's what you're you're alleging against. I'm more saying that like I'm building up to how I feel about this new ending. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that like you have a choice to make in that moment, and you are choosing where to go and the story will react in kind and inform it further along the way. And I think we see that in a lot of choice driven games that people try to find this like golden path. They try to find right. a golden route. Right. And cyberpunk has at just about every juncture and with the new ending really bucked the idea of a everybody mm-hmm. wins route. Yeah, and right. that owns yeah. so, mm-hmm. so much like yeah. again, Baldur's Gate 3 also does this in, in ways that we'll talk about if we ever get around to doing a Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3 spoiler cast one day. Because, y'all, I got the most depressing ending in Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3, but I love it. It's yeah. so good. Um, but, like, I... Yeah. Let's talk new ending. Okay, so so if you choose, for whatever reason, to kill Songbird... Um, if you kill Songbird let, let or her save die. Songbird... Yeah. <laughs> like... Kill her is probably not the right connotation mm, for what how that, this thing that, is framed. That dialogue option said kill Songbird. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like, you're not, like, fucking... I'm not pulling out a gun and shooting her head like I did with the reed in my original run. You're just jacking her out of the Matrix. Like, that's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, um, You are unplugging her from the wall and not plugging her back in again. Un- we're, un- um, we're unaliving her. <laughs> so we're letting, we're <laughs> oh, letting Songbird fly away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Oof! God damn, yeah. that is damn, Eric. It's got layers. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's got it's got too many layers for this call. Episode name: I'm like a bird. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like a songbird. Um. Anyway, uh, so if you do anything that does not specifically put a living songbird in the hands of the NUSA then you do not get the new ending. You just get like kind of an epilogue, a coda with, with all the characters and you go back to your night city shenanigans. But if you choose to, uh, to heed the, the call of, of mother and USA and, <laughs> and truly sell out songbird, uh, that is how you open up the new ending. And I really feel it's important to frame it that way because I think that yeah. framing informs everything that happens afterwards because you you get it you get the thing you wanted you get a cure however you basically have to go into secrecy like you have to get the operation done in secret you can't tell anybody what is happening and you're only allowed to make like i i think i only got to make like two text messages i can text um my my love interests and i could text victor and that was it um and then you get on the ship and that flying off scene with with Johnny is intense to say mm-hmm. the least. That might be the most emotionally affecting scene for me out of all the new content was that part where like Johnny is just very flatly telling you like you are killing me. Like right. whatever I am, whatever I exist as right now, you are destroying that if you do this right now. And it's a very different feeling than what happens if you get to the end of the other endings, right? It's, right. it's a markedly different tone. 
And that conversation can go a lot of ways. In mine, it was like, Johnny was like, I, I hate you, but I respect you. Like, mm-hmm. you, you stuck to your guns. I stuck to my guns. We were both too stubborn to ever find a different way out of this situation. Yeah. And I respect that you are willing to take the stand and say, I want to live. And that does mean that I no longer get to live. But that's like, you are making the choice and I respect you for making it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how y'all's conversation went, but that... It, that whole dropship scene fucked me up real yeah. bad. That yeah, that that is that's another that was the other moment that got me because I I, I didn't play the original game to the extent that y'all did, but I still felt a connection to Johnny. And I think mm-hmm. part a big part of that also is because most of my understanding of Johnny came through Phantom Liberty, and like we had mentioned before, sure. he is a lot more of a like a like an a sympathetic character and a lot more introspective where he's still like, I, I, I know who Johnny is like, uh, and I've, I've seen the scenes where I, I play as him and I, I, I know his backstory and why he's, why he is who he is. Um, but I just, I think he's so fucking cool. He's just a cool dude. Mm. Uh, at least how, that's how I feel. And then like being able to see him be introspective and be, I don't want to say guiding light because he's not, he's not necessarily a, uh, um, like that type of he's not that type of person uh but he's he's like my friend who's an asshole but he he's been through a lot so he knows he knows what's up mm. um he's someone i could rely on and so when i when i went through that that uh flight scene overlooking all of night city and having that conversation with him where yeah you kind of have this mutual respect and the, like the last thing you you hear him say before you're kind of like knocked out by anesthesia or whatever or you just like knock out is um oh fuck i forgot what it is that he says but uh that sh- that shit that should fuck me up where he's like yeah i get like a, like in another life or something like we could have been we could have been like right. really good friends or whatever mm-hmm. like that that mm-hmm. kind of shit always gets me yeah it it was an interesting scene for me and i think this is kind of my feeling about playing through the ending it's like trying to have a conversation with johnny silverhand playing as a v who did all the things that took to get here like being in an ending I vehemently don't really believe in mm-hmm. is, like, a sort of different experience than pretty much, like, you know... Well, I mean, I, I guess I would have felt the same way about, like, doing the Hanukkah ending or something like that. Like, it, you know, it is this different sort of, like, role-play. I mean, just, like, it, it feels like a what-if scenario more than anything else. But I was really affected by that scene because it does, in spite of what's happening, where V is getting a cure, is going to hypothetically live in the way that they might not in the other endings, the ending does so much to make you understand this is not the happy ending that you might have possibly wanted. It's not like the, you know, oh, V is to walk into the sunset ending because they found the cure and everyone is saved and everything is happy, everything is good because Johnny is just, like, so clearly upset that this is how things ended. And that both extends to, like, you know, him being erased in the most holistic way. Uh, but also to like, you're, you're working with a system that I have told spent, you know, 25 hours of video game telling you does not have your interest, your best interest at heart, even though like, okay, you're, you're going to get what you wanted, but at what cost? And, you know, it, it feels like just like a more somber riff on the Hanukkah ending where that is just like straight up, like beating you over the head with like, you have not been paying attention to the text of this video game for all this time. We're here is more of like this begrudging acceptance to give into something that 
might at least give you some facsimile of what you want. And so in that way, the most effective thing about the Johnny conversation to me was when he's like, do you think we, we can forgive each other for this at least? Yeah. And you can say yes or no. And I said, yes, I think at, at some point, you know, you're going to, you will accept why I did this and I will accept, and I will accept why I did this. And, um, so I think that was sort of my takeaway from that scene initially was that like felt very weird to kind of like get in that headspace when I so very much did not believe in what was going on. But, um, I get, like get into the headspace of like a version of V that would be that would be at that point that would have been like, you know, this is this is a way out. This is a definitive way out as opposed to something that we're just kind of like putting all our hopes into. So we we do this. We we undertake the cure. We go to Langley, and we go under for a nice little little quick nap, a little surgery, <laughs> uh, a little, yeah. little little bit head work. We wake up, yeah. and uh, uh oh. As desk job Idris Elba <laughs> informs us, <laughs> it's been two years. They forgot to keep paying money to your apartment. I've <laughs> like, been evicted. Yeah. Um. So, I'll be I'll be honest that at first I didn't like the whole two year thing because it felt at first like it was a really just way for them to be like you got what you wanted but it came with a price that's night city for you and like it felt i don't want to say too easy but not like like it, it felt too much like okay so they're just like twisting and digging the knife in you you start calling all your old contacts it becomes abundantly clear that like everyone has moved on while you've been gone that the NUSA made no effort for, to like tell anyone what had happened mm. or what was going on, which is like shitty in its own way. Uh, so them trying to like offer you a job at the end is like, Oh, what are you talking about? Like y'all couldn't even pay my freaking apartment fees. Um, but at first I was like, Oh, this is just going to be like the super like bittersweet. You got what you wanted, but at what cost? Um, ending and up until like like up until the point where i was uh ready to go to night city i was just like i don't like this ending and and not like mm-hmm. i don't like this it makes me feel bad it's I, I don't know if this like works well for me as an alternative and i will just say before we i, I do want to talk more about the hospital thing but i completely 180'd the second we got to night city. Yeah. And Cause you saw Misty. Look, we'll talk about Misty. Don't <laughs> worry. But <laughs> um, I, I will tell you why it went from being my least favorite to possibly my favorite. Um, but uh, the hospital stuff, boy, did that fuck me up a good bit too. Mm. Um, Pan Am just not wanting to talk to you at all. Uh, Judy had moved on and was living with someone new in Pittsburgh uh carrie the whole the whole scene with carrie i don't know if it was different for you ken but the whole bit about him like he's trying to talk to you and he's maybe the most like willing to hear you out and and is like enthusiastic about how much he has missed you but is so distracted by everything going on around him and it's so clear that his life has moved on and then you're like hey could we like meet up to talk about this and he's like oh i got the show over here and the show over there like how was it for you ken as someone who like romanced carrie so i think there was that was like one of the like cushioned blows of all of it was that like yeah i think carrie is like the one person that is like the mo- well granted like we'll, we'll give you some credit like it's not a matter of her like not being willing to hear you out but she's just like i don't even live where you're going anymore right um, 
where with Carrie, like, you know, there is this, like, ex- like again, like, excitement that, like, oh, shit, you're fucking alive. Like, everyone thought you were dead, and everyone else is just kind of, like... I, I think it's also... Part of it is, like, he seems to be the one that's, like, the most... All right, it's not necessarily the word, because, like, Judy's all right. She's in a good place, but, like, Carrie seems to still be, like, thriving in the way that he always has, um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a way that is... I, 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 like he hasn't backslid into something you know worse like river oh my god like, calling calling river was like oh my god dude it's only been like for everyone else it's been like it's been two years it's been so long so much has changed and with river i'm like how did you fuck up this badly in two years mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but even even like with like the romance part of it like you, you kind of um you ask did you ever think of me he's like yeah i did for you know as long as like was reasonable to do that. And like, I did have, you know, I had to move on. I had to, I'm touring around. I'm I played at the crystal palace. Like we always talked about. Um, and like, that's just like one of the like heartbreaking moments. Like, Oh, you missed out on so much. Like part of it, like, like that was, I think for me, the difference between Carrie and everyone else is like, he kept doing what he, like, like he stayed on the path that like our relationship set him on, but I wasn't there for any of it where Mm. Judy very much like, you know, she left, she found her new, she found a new life. River, poor fucking guy, has just, like, ruined his life, basically. And but who knows how Pan Am's doing, because, like, she just doesn't want to talk to talk to me. Where I think, like, that was, like, one of the biggest moments of, like, having to miss out on something that, like, I was so looking forward to seeing. Where everyone else... It, it definitely feels like the effect of V not being there is prevalent in everyone's conversations. Uh, it just kind of, like, has a different sort of tinge to it, depending on who it is, where Judy, like, you know, properly moves on. But, like, like, imagine if I'd been around when these sort of things came up for River. Maybe it would have helped. Maybe could have, maybe could have interfered with that in a way that would put him in a better place. Um, so I think you just kind of get, like, a different feeling of, like, I guess for lack of a better term, like, FOMO in everyone's lives. And just, like, there's sort of this different tenor to each of them. It's the wild anime time skip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a sucker for the anime time skip, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Um so for me, for me, who uh, someone who just like went straight into uh, Phantom Liberty as soon as I did the as soon as it was available in the main quest, uh, I didn't have uh, I didn't have any of the phone calls or conversations. I was able to see them because someone else I know who played through the game uh, had used an end game save, so they already had established all those relationships. So I was able to see how all that stuff played out, and uh, with some of these characters who I don't necessarily have a connection to, but I'm like, oh shit, that's that's like wild that the like all these paths have have diverged, and I can I can appreciate that about, it, especially hearing hearing y'all talk about how it affected like your perception of those different characters you interacted with. For me, the thing that hit the most was the fact that not only has this been a wild time skip, but the fact that you are no longer who you once were, and mm-hmm. that. V can no longer use combat cybernetics. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess yeah. we gloss over that. We, we yeah. do gloss over that. <laughs> that yeah, is, yeah. so yeah. For me, that like that's the part that hit the hardest, because, like, you go under and you're expecting to you know get the relic out and you're going to continue living your life, and it's another, another area in which the game is like or that story is taking something away from you. You know, the at mm-hmm. what cost question that it that keeps asking you. And this is what it's taking away from you. Your entire identity is taken away from you. Like, you play this game. You spec into these skill trees. V is known as someone who aspires to be the one running the streets, especially under the street kid uh, um, 
background mm-hmm. where there's this undertone of like, yeah, I'm going to run these streets. And you kind of, you kind of see some of it too, when you go back to night city through this ending, um, we are kind of reminiscing like, damn, yeah, I was, these was my streets, you know what I'm saying? And it's that feeling of coming back home after so many years and seeing that things have changed. Um, but I think the, the thing that got me was that you, you wake up and you didn't, you didn't have a choice in the matter. Uh, and, that's just the life you have to live now. And it reminded me of when I woke up in the hospital bed after I had heart Mm. surgery, Mm. uh, where it's in a way it's like the complete opposite where, um, so I actually had, there was, it was a 50, 50 chance where when I went into surgery, uh, my surgeon said, there's a, there's a chance that we can repair your heart valve and not have to install a mechanical heart valve. And that would be Mm. the ideal situation because, Mm -hmm. um, you can function like functionally you will be the same as if you were not born with that defect and you wouldn't have to have all these medications and you have to take all these precautions for the rest of your life. And of course I was like hoping that that would be the case. Um, But in the case that they can't do that, they're going to install a mechanical heart valve and it comes with all these other caveats. And so I woke up on the hospital bed 20 hours later uh, Mm -hmm. and I asked the nurse, I was like, so did they repair my valve or did they give me a mechanical heart valve? I was like, oh, no, they installed the, the mechanical heart valve. And mm. I remember thinking to myself, like, fuck, man. Mm. Like, it's not, it's not that serious because, like, I could still function. And I've, been, I've hung out with y'all and it's, it hasn't changed all that much, right? Uh, at least for now at this stage in my life. But I remember thinking to myself, like, fuck, man. I have the, like, my life is completely changed and there's no going back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I needed this life-saving operation. And in a way, like, that ending f- fucking, that shit mm. got me, man, because it was, mm. but in a way, that it was the reverse, where V's like, I need to get rid of these, <laughs> these, right. all these mechanical mm-hmm. things in order to, like, now I'm mostly an organic living human being, and that's the thing that's going to save me but now I have to live with all these caveats that weren't, that was not my choice. Um, and then the way they contextualize that when you go back to night city, where you're kind of, you know, you, 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 ha- you hang out with Victor, you see like how like, Oh, he's kind of quote unquote sold out to Zeta tech. And mm. I thought he was like that cool ripper doc who was always going to be there for me. And it's like, ah, well I can't drink on the job and I'm not going to do that. Dude, but. It's like, it's like another one of those things where it's like, man, if I had been here, like, would I have been able to convince him? Like, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Same shit. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I guess it looks like we can't install any cybernetics on you. This is just the way you have to live for the rest of your life. And then you got jumped by uh, those street punks and you can't defend yourself. And it's crazy that, like, mm. I was air dashing and deflecting bullets mm-hmm. with a sword and using a cloaking ability and getting these headshots with like 2k damage on enemies. And then now I'm nothing. And Mm. it's such a, it is, Oh my God, it's fucking wild. How, how much of a contrast it is that in order to live the rest of your life, you gave up what you were living for in a way. Um, And Mm. I like that, that Misty shows up that, and she's like this comforting character who like, basically tells you to uh, look on the bright side of things. Uh, and right. it's not, you know, it's not perfect. It's not going to, uh, you're not going to like be like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it's great that I don't have all these cybernetics anymore. Right. Sure. Um, 
but the per- perspective that she brings is like at least it's something to cling on to um and when you yeah. walk away into the rest of the, the the rest of the faces of night city it's like damn this is just who i am now uh it's it was really powerful in a way mm. that made me really sad uh, mm. but it's mm. it, it's bittersweet that now i have a whole life ahead of me but i am no longer who i once was and i have to l- accept that for the rest of mm-hmm. however long i live yeah i think so on 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 a few notes the uh the scene where the like the, the jackass is like threatening you and then it gives you like all these dialogue options like and they've got like stat checks and like oh you got your your origin story uh option too and like <laughs> yeah. all these things you can say and yeah, like yeah. all these options it gives you and then like none of them work like none of them are like are effective anymore it's like oh, such I, like yeah. a I did my level a, 20 yeah. net running thing and I was like I'll fry your brain jack off and and the dude was like oh yeah hack me do it and like mm. just stared me in the eyes and I was like fuck yeah. <laughs> i even hit tab i was like can i can i tab no i could not tab <laughs> i could not yeah. hit tab like one of the most effective like gameplay moments of the ending because i mean mm-hmm. and a lot of this is just like walking talking to people and that's all well and good but like the way that they just like really like rub it in that like oh you all the tools you had at your disposal are meaningless now uh really just like sells that moment to me so well um on the note of Misty, like, it was really interesting because, like, she was, how do I say this? Like, I don't want to sound like I don't like Misty as a character because, like, I do. Like, I really do. And I think, she's, I think she's great. But she was not the character that I, like, my mind went to. Like, who does my Veep want to talk to right now? Because um, it, it would have, it, like, it was, you know, Carrie and Judy who had, like, basically, you know, been removed from my life in one way or another. And, but then Misty comes and, like, you're like, oh, you're probably, like, the one person who I should talk to right now. You're the one that's like, and like, she, cause she, she's tell, telling you all these things, but like, like, here's what you do now. Like when, when you hear gunfire, you run, you don't, you know, you don't get into a fight. Like you actually run to the, the nearest building and you hide like the rest of us. And it was a, a wild thing to like talk to her and like all her, her way to try to comfort you. Like in a way they're platitudes, but like, they're also not like, it's very practical the way that she talks about everything. Like, Oh no, you like, you need to understand what your life is in Night City if this is where you choose to stay. Because, like, you can't have a conversation later or at the end where you're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe I'll do X, Y, or Z. Like, maybe my life wasn't going to be here. Or, maybe, or, like, maybe I don't know, which is actually, I think, the, the choice I picked at that point because, like, I hadn't really thought that far ahead yet. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, who is one of the constants in this game that just, like, knows where you're at more than anyone else's? Because, like, all of the, like, you know, the, the companions that you can talk to, like, even if they were here, they, they still have a very particular perspective of, like, what it means to exist in Night City as a rock star, a cop, a nomad, like, person who works in the, the sex work industry. Like, they have something that makes them quote-unquote special in this world, where V has to kind of figure out what it means to live here when you're not special, when you are just another face in the crowd. And, yeah, so, like, I feel like Misty is, like, the perfect person to have at the very end to talk about that. Uh, even if it is you know, it's not, she's not going to give you the answers that you want. She's not going to give you this sort of uh, out that you might be looking for. So it's just very effective on a lot of fronts to have her there in the, at the very end. I, um, so I'll tell you why I think this is my favorite ending now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, number one, 
I think Misty is an incredible pick, not just because her time skip glow up is incredible, um, but it's also <laughs> thematically important because she's wearing Jackie's jacket. Yeah. Like, and, and so she is someone who has been through so much change in her life already. Like she, she comes to you in a moment of like, I assume she's just going to pick up whatever last vestiges right. of her life remain at, at Victor's place before she moves on. And, and if you, talk to her about where you're going and you're like oh maybe i won't stay in night city she says something about like well if you end up ever end up in a mystical forest in poland you let me know (laughs) you hit me up and i'm like (laughs) hell yeah misty um but so one of my favorite quotes in general is uh life is a series of comings and goings uh it sounds really profound until i tell you that it was spoken by kermit the frog in the muppet Mm -hmm. christmas carol um (laughs) But Kermit the Frog is a, fo- a fountain of wisdom, so we should all listen to Kermit the Frog more often. But, <laughs> um, I mean, people come and go in your life. I don't f- feel like that's a profound thing to say. Like, I have people in my life who meant a lot at one point and still mean a lot for that period of my life that they were in, but they're not there anymore. Or they're there, but not in the way that they used to be. And that's just life. Life moves. And... I think the most compelling thing about this ending to me is it shows that like life moved on without V there Mm -hmm. and that V also has to move on too. There's an immediacy about the like relic and, and the way it immediately inserts you into these people's lives and what is ultimately the span of three weeks a month who can say like, um, the way you become this, integral part of these people's lives but then it's ultimately a blip on the timeline and you might still be a memorable blip but things are moving and so that's why Mm -hmm. i i talked earlier about how phantom liberty feels like it just happens and there's no demonstrable change to the world right like things happen Mm -hmm. and night city keeps rolling johnny silverhand dies and Night City keeps rolling. Alt Cunningham gets turned into a black wall rogue AI. And Night City keeps rolling. Everything keeps moving regardless of the people there. What V gets is not necessarily a new lease on life. But V gets to carry on and see what new life looks like. And the opportunity to have possibly even a fresh start and a new understanding of that life. And I think that's a really interesting and profound note to leave it on. And like the fact that even three of us are coming to this with similar, but like very wildly different takeaways, like honestly just tells me this is a very rich text of an ending Mm -hmm. that like, there's Mm -hmm. so much packed Mm -hmm. into this one sequence and to have it end on this note where like V is walking off into the crowd and uh, it's, I swear to God, it's a reference to a film that I can't think of right now, but, um, it's that feeling of like someone d- disappearing into the crowd and you don't know what their next step is. That does right. feel in some ways like a swan song for, for cyberpunk, right? Like it's basically being like, this mm-hmm. was all just a piece of the stage play that you got to be a part of that. You got to see, this was a moment in V's life and whatever they do next, that's not part of the story that cyberpunk 2077 is telling. Like it ends here. And, it's, it's also just really profound because it's saying like this world is going to keep turning. There's always sure. more in it. You see all these faces and they have all their own stories too. Like they all have shit going on that you don't know anything about. Cause this, this is night city. And like, I, it just, it really hits me. It's that anthology storytelling where you can have those 
stories that are so powerful in the moment and can seem like they're all that encompasses the world in that brief span of time, but they are still just specks like falling through the hourglass of your life. And they are memorable and they are bright and they are incredible and they can change you, but they are all pieces of the whole that is your life. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the note that I, I thought CD project, at least like in that moment understood what their style of storytelling can do, what the strengths of cyberpunk were like what cyberpunk can do and can tell and can even do in the future. That gives me a lot of hope for what they're doing next. Uh, it was just an incredible way to yeah. end that story. I'm so glad it wasn't some dumb golden route bullshit. <laughs> sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I'm a few minds on that. Cause like, I think to me, the ending works as, like, as a subversion of everything that 2077 is about. Because, like, the entire concept of, like, being a Night City legend is all about, like, the inherent egos that we all have about, like, how... Like, sure, there's just, like, there's a sort of, um, like, softer side to that. Like, I want people to... Like, I want the people that are in my life to still remember me. I want to be somebody that people cared about enough to know about me when I'm gone. But there is just, like, there's, again, like, an inherent ego to that. Like, oh, I want to have been important enough to be remembered. And I think, like... Mm -hmm. Something about this ending that works for me is it's this, like this moment with Misty where she's like, now you can go anywhere. You're not beholden to this mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. made up system that you had in your head, this made up idea of what you wanted your life to be. And now you, you can just live your life and be present in it in a way that is not always thinking about like this pie in the sky idea you have of what you want people to think about when you're gone. And that is like the sort of feeling that you have when you have those, those phone conversations. It's like, oh, I was so transfixed by the idea of persisting that I wasn't there for these huge moments where I could have been there for somebody's accomplishments. I could have been there to prevent someone from going down the wrong path. And I think like that's why that's one of the main reasons I think the Phantom Liberty ending is something you need to see after you have finished 2077 because I think it is whatever my feelings are on whether or not I'd ever pick it for like my canon ending. I I think it is something that is building off of the knowledge that you would have from playing through the game the first time from like seeing this sort of like, you know, natural end game of all of these themes coming together in any one of those other endings. But in that way, I also struggle to view it as a real quote unquote conclusion to the game. Cause it does feel like it is like, like I said, like fucking almost three hours ago at this point, it, it is inherently disruptive to the narrative of cyberpunk 2077 because it does inject a completely different story and conclusion and so in that way like I don't I could never see a version of myself where I picked it as my ending because I feel like I'm still missing out on so many of like the very important like foundational conclusions of this game to like how I view Night City how I view V how I view Johnny how I view Carrie like all of those came together in one of the other endings and in that way, this is always going to feel like a what if. It's going to feel like a subversion of everything where we kind of, you know, take everything from a different angle and just look at it that way and examine it and think about it in a different way. So I do like it conceptually. I just feel like it has this very weird place in the game for me that I don't think I can ever really reconcile. And I don't think that it's ever like, I don't think anything that CD Projekt Red could have done would have made it that to me. I don't think anything that they could have done would have made it feel like an actual conclusion to be sought out in a natural way. 
I think. Yeah. I, I mean, through that lens, though, like any other ending that's not the one that you have like found for sure. yourself is going to not be able to do that. So, but I but I also just think like the like the structure of Phantom Liberty being the thing that like derails the original story is always that I think that's why it sticks out to me differently than any of the other endings I didn't pick. Like it does I, not feel like the conclusion to the Arasaka story. The uh, maybe like I mean just like. Well, because so many v, things v get taken I'm off. Out. V, v just well, says, sure. fuck like, shit, I'm out. <laughs> sure, but I, I also just think, like, that is, like, the kind of storytelling that we only... I feel, well, I'm sure it happens. Like, it, it feels very much like the alternate ending. It feels very much like the one that you find in the, the special features on a DVD. Like, it, <laughs> it just feels like structurally, narratively, Phantom Liberty is just, like, inherently a, a derailing of everything that's come before which I think is fine. I just think it's like the context in which I think it should be examined. Michael, how did any last thoughts on, on Phantom Liberty here as we kind of wrap up and, uh, and try to put a, a bow on all this? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see uh, what Kent, where Ken's coming from in terms of like how it fits into everything. Um, I did, I have watched all the different endings or like the like playthroughs of all the endings because I have not uh, experienced them for myself. Um, so it is it is kind of hard to like see how it fits into how it does fit into everything else but uh at least you know like you said it's it's v basically throwing their hands up and saying yeah i I just don't want any part of this i just want what's for myself and the heartbreaking part though is like i do like i do see a version of my v who would go down this route the heartbreaking part is that it comes at the expense of songbird <laughs> Again, right. like we mm. mentioned in, in the earlier in this uh, in this episode, is that you only get that if you either give give her up to read um, in the in the rainy in the soaked uh, spaceport, or if you just straight up um, uh, keep her alive uh, in the read route and submit her to the NUSA. Um, so it's um, it's just so I I love I, I I do appreciate a game that is willing to push back on the idea of being able to tie everything up uh neatly and make everybody mm. happy it's um you know i play a lot playing a lot of uh other rpgs where it's like okay how do i get the best ending uh, it's like i have to do i have to do all the loyalty missions i have to do all the side missions make the right choices or whatever make sure i have like maxed out um faction loyalty in this person or whatever and mm -hmm. uh no matter which way you slice it someone's going to end up losing uh, yeah. in an ending and you're not going to get the thing that you thought you were going to get and i don't know maybe it's just maybe it's just the it speaks more to the the types of games that i play or maybe mm -hmm. just the types of stories that i seek out and actually yep. consume but uh i think that makes cyberpunk in particular phantom liberty all the more affecting is because mm -hmm. of how messy all these situations right. are and like when you real when you really think about it all our lives are fucking messy, man. Like mm -hmm. we, we always have to operate mm -hmm. under the pretense of having imperfect information. I'm never mm -hmm. going to know everything mm -hmm. about when I have to make critical decisions in my life. I'm never going to have all the information possible. I'm not going to know everything about a person's life uh, when I have to like help them with something or uh, whatever as minor, as minor as these things may be. Um, so the fact that this, these stories are able to hammer that as a primary theme makes it special to me. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It does make me wonder what the reaction to this ending is going to be in the coming yeah, huh. weeks, I guess. Um, just because, yeah. like, I like I was... 
as I tend to do every now and then, I was on Edge Runner TikTok earlier today, just like <laughs> scrolling through videos and AMVs and shit. And I saw like some comments being like, I loved the show. I hated the ending. And I was like, how do you watch that show and like see it, like get to its ending and not see like why everything culminated in the way that it did. And I think there's still just like, I, I, I feel like Mass Effect 2 Suicide Mission broke everyone's brain to think that there is like a perfect solution to everything that you ever do in an RPG. Yeah. And yeah. Mm. Um, I, I still feel like that rings true to a lot of people. Cause I, I, cause that was even some of like, I won't get into spoilers of Baldur's Gate three, but there was like some backlash about the fate of a certain character and that game that ended up getting not a new ending in terms of like a new outcome, but just like kind of like more clarity on what happened to that character added to that game. But it did not do what I think a lot of people wanted, wanted them to do, which was like make everything okay, make everything good, and make everything happy. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I. I said for a long time when they said that Phantom Liberty was going to add a new ending to Cyberpunk, I was like, no, V's mortality is like so paramount to their story. And it would, they, if there was an ending in which they survived, it would just, you know, go, fly in the face of everything. And I think they somehow managed to find a perfect balance of like letting V live and letting it also be one with a cost and two, like very much tied into the, the themes of Cyberpunk in a way that did not feel like it was cheap or demeaning and yeah it makes me just like excited at the prospect of more of the studio working in this world and seeing how they can extrapolate on these ideas in ways that feel like they managed to subvert my expectations still yeah overall i think that at least from from the cyberpunk genre especially is that Mm -hmm. in phantom liberty they figured it out like they know Mm -hmm. they at least they demonstrated uh like a deep understanding of the genre and of the material they were working with and that's great i I love that as well yeah yeah i i think like as as we kind of wrap here that like phantom liberty really shows that number one much like i said about edge runners at the time that like cd project clearly has more they want to say in this world more they want to do they have not like run out the clock on just the Johnny Silverhand idea. And, and if anything, I'm like really interested to see what kind of stories they tell without the relic and Johnny is like this, um, narrative framing device for, for why all these things are happening. Uh, I'd love to see them dive deeper into these concepts that we talked about, like the black wall and net running and, and the, the greater like geopolitical landscape of, of what it's like outside night city. And, there's, there's so much like rich fodder for them to like dive into, but at the same time, they, they keep it so grounded in like the, the moment to moment, these, these times when you have to make these decisions. And I love that the ending is in a way, a culmination of Phantom Liberty that you have decided amongst all these other people playing for themselves to play for yourself above and making betrayals that aren't just like, oh, you betrayed somebody that you didn't really trust. Or like if you, if it was, you just had to betray like Rosalind Myers or whatever, like that wouldn't mean anything, mm-hmm. but you have to, you have to betray everyone to the point that you like the person who has been in your head and advocating for a way to like try and save you and himself at the same time. And you have to opt to drop the ball on him is powerful. I think and and is that moment where they say like you can get what you want but what are you willing to pay for it the same question that other characters have had to ask themselves 
uh it, it's really effective and it really really works um you're never gonna make everybody happy i've seen people say they don't like the ending of cowboy bebop and to that i just have to say that you don't have media literacy <laughs> you're cowards <laughs> you, you lack media literacy to understand a good story when it is put in front of you um and and you can't help you know you can't account for taste but it's <laughs> jesus christ it's it's really just like i i do think that at this point like do is cyberpunk I feel like is cyberpunk has it completed the turn and has it become the, you know, as it joined the ranks of like realm reborn and no man's sky of like, they, they righted the ship. I, I don't know if they righted the ship because there are some aspects of like that original cyberpunk tech demo that we first saw that just are not present here. will never be present here. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are pieces of it, features, ideas, even just vibes that are not ever going to be able to be recreated in this game and will have to be something that they think about in the future for whatever, I guess, you know, cyberpunk 2087 <laughs> because of how much we jump forward. Um, and I would kind of like to see them engage with this new version of night city that they set up in the, the Phantom Liberty ending, the one where Arasaka is moving out. Zeta tech is moving in and you're getting this kind of changing of the guard as like people are, are fighting about it in the streets and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. I, I think this is like we are now at the best version of what cyberpunk mm -hmm. can be. Mm -hmm. I, I think we have reached like and, and whether that is like a, a, a good thing, whether it like that turns it into an incredible thing or whether that just turns into like the best version of what this could mm -hmm. have been. I think it's really cool to see the vision realized and to, 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 to mm -hmm. at least see that like these developers, even though it was through. Like, as we talked about during the uh, Normandy FM season, like, reports of t tireless crunch and constant working and some decisions made from on high that I think largely did not pan out um, and, and caused a lot of headaches and, and issues. At least, like, the people working on this game for years and years and years have something out there that feels as close to what they have wanted to deliver as it can be. And I, that's cool. I'm glad that exists. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we all know Final Fantasy XIV, Realm Reborn is the greatest <laughs> redemption story of all time. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, that is, cannot be touched. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, you got, I don't it, know, it, no, nothing it's, that anyone it's the can number do. one, you know, I can't wait. Normandy FM, the Final Fantasy XIV season. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to take Ken half of his life on this earth. <laughs> we will do it. Um, no, but uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's definitely up there in terms of being able to turn a, the, a game around. Um, up there with like No Man's Sky in terms, but it's it's like it's hard to like account for the damage that was done in terms of like reputation, uh, but also for the people who worked on the game. And um, again, it's another one of those things where you ask like at what cost. Um, mm. But I think at least um, like from from a quality of a game perspective, uh, they got it to a place that is. Uh, that that feels like they they uh have reached the heights that they we know that they were able to reach through the witcher i guess and make good on having the cyberpunk license because um, i think like for me that, that was like some high expectations coming off of you know 
Deus Ex and uh, mm. uh, mm-hmm. other cyberpunk texts uh, that were kind of like really thought provoking. Um, and then 2077 not necessarily being able to drive that home, in my opinion. Uh, but then having this thing of Phantom of Liberty where they're, they can point to and be like, no, we we eventually understood. We eventually got it. And it's like, wow, that's that's a really cool thing. No matter what you think of like the base game, um, Phantom of Liberty is a very uh, rich experience that is worthy of a 10 out of 10, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I, I feel like the redemption arc isn't, I'm not necessarily interested in that conversation, I don't think. Because mm, sure. um, it, it, it's weird. It's like, who, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm equipped with enough uh, like authority to make that determination, but everyone can make that for themselves, right? Um, but that's, I don't know. Redemption isn't necessarily the thing that I'm, I'm seeking, but it's just like making good on the, on the thing that you were working with um, at the end, and that is what Phantom Liberty achieves. Oh, one last thing I wanted to mention, uh, really important. Uh, Jeremy Lay does incredible work oh. in, in this specifically. Yeah. Um, oh, God, male, yeah, huh? Uh, Ken, who's who's the male V voice? Uh, Gavin Drea. Also, also great work. But I, 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 since... I will I will tell you all, though, like, the second, like, I booted up 2.0 and, like, heard new dialogue from him, I got, like, I, I felt it. Like, I, got, I felt very warm <laughs> all of a sudden. Because, like, I, I, I know, like, I know... I think they're actually. I, I would honestly say I think they're both equally good in in the role. Yeah, I am. I, I I think they're both great too. I just also think that this is going to be like an all time Jeremy Lay performance. Like like yeah. this, there mm-hmm. there are moments where I think, like she explicitly hones in on the like the really emotional raw moments that V experiences. Uh, and does it so well like like the entire hospital scene in the new ending handled incredibly well so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah uh yeah I, just, I really like what they did with v in phantom liberty as well where like i liked i like playing a predetermined character as much as these games are about rpgs and kind of like being a projection of yourself onto that character having some sort of authorship in that character but cd project red being like no this is who this character is and hearing that in the voice acting as well is kind of what holds it together. Like V is also as big of a character in all of this as Johnny Reed songbird, everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had a, I, I feel like at the very least I can recommend the game without like a lot of caveats as I would not have even been able to say maybe even a year ago. Hmm. I mean, I think, like, in terms of certain aspects of the world building and its sort of worldview, I guess, there are still things that, like, obviously need to be addressed, which we talked about in this season. Um, but I I don't know. Like, I, I in my in a review, I said, like, I feel like I went from, like, a begrudging respect to this, for this game to liking it at the end of Normandy to I think I love it now. And I think, like, there is a lot of, like, very, like, personal shit that I've talked about in the season that like, well, like why V is so special to me and why Night City is special to me that I think obviously like plays into all of that. But I think like that it was able to capture all of that through so much fucking like grime and garbage, even at its absolute worst. I think a lot of the things just shine through now in a way that I couldn't have even fathomed three years ago. 
and it it does feel like I, I think Phantom Liberty felt significant to play through having been through the entirety of that like arc whatever you want to call it redemption or not because it just feels like it, it reflects so much on the shit that V went through that we also went through that CD Projekt Red went through to get to this point in a way that feels not not really heavy-handed in a way it, like it, it just feels like the, the nature of this story to reflect on just like the shit it took to get to some level of like being just you know the best version of yourself under all the fucking most dire circumstances so what do you think like yeah like maybe the the redemption arc as like a sort of a concept of like how we talk about video games in the era of live service like maybe that in this in of itself is not very interesting but i think cyberpunk and phantom liberty especially as a sort of reflection on all of that i think it is a, an important part of its story yeah just as much as the new ending is just as much as Songbird is this mirror of V's reality. I think a game that like went to hell and back to get to something that is worthwhile in the end is, I think, significant for Cyberpunk in the same way that like a Rome Reborn was for 14, for them to like destroy that world to make something new. Uh, I think like does it earn the redemption arc? Like I think that's that's still going to be in the eye of the beholder, but I I think as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I think this is as close to the game that I could have wanted at the time. Yeah. I think that sums it up mm-hmm. pretty well. That is three hours of us talking about cyberpunk 2077 Phantom uh, Liberty. That's, I feel like content baby. We could easily go more <laughs> probably, but we do want to try and keep this within the normal bounds of a Normandy FM runtime. <laughs> hey, I mean our finale for cyberpunk, or I guess this is now our new finale for cyberpunk, but our original finale for cyberpunk was four hours long. Oh, wow. Oh, oh God. Damn. No, I can't <laughs> do that. Okay. Uh, before we go, Michael, where can the folks at home find you and all the wonderful things you do on the hey, internet? You could find me and all of my bullshit at Michael P. Hyam on Twitter or at Hyam Michael on Instagram, which is becoming my preferred platform. Uh, but otherwise I am, uh, at the time of recording this episode, I am at gamespot.com. And, uh, if you want to check out my full thoughts or not necessarily my, well, you got a lot of my more full thoughts here on this <laughs> podcast than in my review, because I obviously a review, I will not spoil things for people, but I do have, uh, I did do the review at gamespot 10 out of 10, um, video version and written words on the website. If you want to check out my review of fi- cyberpunk 277 Phantom Liberty. That's what's up. Yeah, I'll have links to all our reviews in the description. Hell yeah. Fantastic. Be sure to check those out. Be sure to check us out. Patreon.com slash NormDFM if you want to support us monetarily. Or if not, just, you know, listen to us on your podcatcher of your choice and give us a good old five-star rating. And stay tuned for our near season, which, hey, who knows? Maybe you'll hear familiar voices on that one again soon. Who can say? (laughs) Who can say? Uh, But for Ken... For myself, for Michael, for everyone at home, thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Normandy FM. Peace.